Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. We did an episode with a podcast called Unpacking Mormonism. And so today I'm just sharing the audio for that episode. And it's kind of long, but I think it's also really informative. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unpacking Mormonism and Other Religious Trauma. We are really excited to have Julia Sanders and America Marvel with us today to talk about the historicity of the temple ceremony. Um, they have like poured their soul into this amazing PowerPoint, and I'm really excited to have them on our show and to share that with you today. Um, please remember that if you are watching us live um, on YouTube, we are not airing any of these in a particular order. So when you go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcasts, um, things are going to be released there in the chronological order that most things occur in the temple. Um, so if you have any questions about any of that, please feel free to give us a shout out in the comments today. We will be interacting with our audience as we um, chat with you. We're really excited about that. Um, or you can always email us at daisygirlcommunications.com or daisygirlcommunications at gmail.com. Um, our goal today, while yes, we are revealing a lot of the history and some of the things that would make it an active participating member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormons, um, very uncomfortable. Our goal is to be respectful of their religious practices. And instead of just bagging on the practice, we're really hoping today to give you a historical look of where things came from. Remember that our intent is to help educate our audience so that if you are practicing or participating, or if you are not, or if you're just curious, we want you to understand where these practices came from, because chances are an active member of the church does not know the things that we are teaching you today. I know that I didn't. Um, Alex, let's bring Mason into the show really quickly. Mason, did you know about any of the background and the removal of these things before um, your temple experience or, or before you exited Mormonism? No, I didn't know anything. I didn't know any about, I didn't know anything about the connections with Masonry. I didn't know anything about the penalties that were there and then removed. Um, I did know that they used to be live sessions, meaning they actually had real people, not just a video mm -hmm. um, and experienced that once in, in a, in the Salt Lake temple. But uh, yeah, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. And my guess would be, I, even as a bishop, I didn't know that kind of stuff. So it's not something that they talk about. It's certainly, a, it's not just the uh, ceremonies that are secret or sacred. It's it's everything connected with the ceremonies that are, that oh. are secret, sacred. I touched something, Alex. Sorry, I took Mason off the screen. That was not my intent. Let me move away from my keyboard here. Sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, I felt, I, that. I felt yeah, that. Sorry, Mason. Let me just take you <laughs> off. So, no, the, for, for me, I had heard once, I'm going to say about, oh, goodness, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, that there were some connections to masonry. So I knew that. And I knew about the throat slashing and the bowel slashing in 2004, actually, um, after my marital affair. Mason, you were in Iraq. And I started doing like Bible study with this really um, kind of fringy Baptist group. Like they, they were not your normal 
Baptist. My one of my best friends in high school was Baptist. So when I was doing some of these, um, this research, I was like, oh, Baptists are going to be great because my friend was Baptist and her church community had welcomed me in. And I ended up with a really fringy Baptist group that were doing Bible study in my home. And they gave me a book that talked about some of it. And then I just kind of, it was one of those thought stopping things. So um, let's go ahead and bring America and Julia on. They can share their experiences hey about guys. when they learned this. Hello. Um, please, uh, Julia and America, I before we get started and jump into this, I would love for you to tell our audience where they can learn more about you, what the projects are that you're working on, so that way they can support you in, in your work. And then, yeah, just take it away and boss Alex around. You are completely <laughs> welcome to just tell Alex next slide or whatever you need. That's just how we how we roll here. Our audience has only seen Alex for about three seconds. And I think it was last week's show. He accidentally put himself up on the screen. So other than that, Alex is the super secret, amazing human behind the scenes. So go ahead, take it away. But he does have feelings. Don't forget that he has feelings. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I think of him as like the neighbor and Tim, the tool man, you know, he's just like, <laughs> he makes, he makes us look and sound amazing. So that's so good. Yeah. yeah. So, so I have, uh, we do a podcast together. It's just analyzing Mormonism and you can find us on YouTube. I think we're also on Spotify. We tried, I need to figure out the, the Google podcast, but anyway, uh, yeah. So I have a TikTok and Instagram and then my shorts that I do on YouTube. So yeah. And then I have a website that I try to keep updated. I haven't been as thorough, but I have a lot more. I need to put all these things that we're about to talk about today into the website. So that'll be that'll be fun so the website awesome. is really awesome because she's got uh references and sources for everything that she talks about awesome yeah. that's great and what about your publishing company because i know that you've been working as a like you're getting ready for your publishing company how's that going right now yeah so we've been um so it's called adina publishers we've been uh releasing uh, reformatted and republished uh, old Mormon history books that we find interesting. Um, so far, we've got out uh, Annaliza's uh, wife number 19. 19. She was um, she was actually not the 19th wife of Brigham Young, but uh, she's got a really interesting story. She was his wife, but probably like the 50s something. Yeah, she was one of the last his later wives, but she thought she was the 19th wife. And we also have William Smith on Mormonism. We have John D. Lee's Mormonism Unveiled coming out. Which is about the Mountain Meadow Massacres. Super mm -hmm. interesting. He is biased, um, but his <laughs> view is very, very... Well, Everybody's biased, we, right? We Lee's tend to be biased, and we really like to make sure that everybody believes our story is the only right one. So right. for more information on how the Lee's like to do that, you can read my book. Well, there it is, my book, Trauma Bonded, because <laughs> I am uh, Sarah Lee. Westbrook, oh. keep going. Ah, yep. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Nobody then Nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Yeah, <laughs> my dad named me after the pie lady, but he gave me an H. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was named after actually an ancestor, and not the country, but you wouldn't know by looking at me. <laughs> anyway, um, then we're releasing our first LGBTQ book. That's not a Mormon book. Um, next month, it's called Outsider. By Jade Dupree's. We're very proud of it. It's very She's from exciting. New Zealand. So that's from so awesome. Very excited. It's so good. Like, it's like awesome. And can we get all of these books like on Amazon or wherever? Yeah, books you are just sold? Buy on Amazon. Or... yeah yep. the, the awesome. easiest way to find it is if you go to Amazon and type in Edina Publishers, which is E D I N A 
And then all of our books should come up. For some reason, the, we can't figure out the, the algorithm. Yeah, we're not yet, pros. Um, you can also find all, all these links at adinapublishers.com. And I believe there's a link on your website, analyzingmormonism.com. Awesome. And the, there's pre-orders available for Outsider. And then all of our other Mormon history books are available there. And if you have one that you just really want to see in print that is not easy to get, um, and it's over 70 years since the author died, we can reprint one. Yeah, we have to make sure they're in the public domain or else they're still copyrighted. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's what you we're said, working You said adinapublishers.com? Mm hmm Okay. Yeah. All righty. So, are we ready to get into this temple stuff? Yes. All right. Let's go. Let's do it, girls. Okay. Get it so started. Get started. So we, do you have the slideshow? There we go. Yeah, so I, I had some trouble titling this, but we're calling it the evolution of the temple ceremony because we're talking mainly about the changes that are happening in the temple. And what I did is I tried to go work our way backwards. So like, I want to show what the, what's going on in the temple now and then kind of work our way back to uh, its origins. So that's how I've kind of set things up. Oh, wait, it's more shocking when you <laughs> get to the end instead of, oh, it's just boring now. Yeah. <laughs> So and I and I just told Alex in the um where everybody can see it, feel free to remove Mason and I so that way we can just spotlight America and Julia rather than the private chat. So listeners, you get a little behind the scenes actions there. All righty, go ahead. Okay, so um Alex, if, if we can move to the next slide. I don't know if I have control of that. Okay, so the first thing that we're gonna talk about is the initiatory. Um, and so one thing that I didn't talk about here is that the temple ceremony first started before the temple was even finished and before Joseph Smith was even a master Mason. So it happened in 1836 is when the first like sort of washings and anointings happened, which is what the initiatory is. And one thing that I didn't talk about here, but, um, some of the first recollections of this is with Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris, and they, they bathed first in cinnamon whiskey. And so that's mm, that spicy. kind of interesting. Whoa. Why cinnamon whiskey? Wait a minute. No, like fireball is amazing. I <laughs> love that stuff. When I was Looks cruising, like no, yeah, when I was cruising, they did um oh shit, what's it? It was like not your grandma's French toast shots. Oh, and that was my first experience with fireball, y'all. It's delicious. I don't so know if you've had that. we have not had that. We are okay. Not. I We're I still new to I didn't I knew that they bathed you, but I didn't realize in cinnamon yeah. whiskey for reals. Yeah. yeah. And it was just the men at first. It was, was the women. Weren't, yeah. The women weren't yeah. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Yeah. So we can go to the next slide and go more into it. Okay. So, so that was, so I gave you a little bit of a teaser because I didn't have a slide for that one. Um, but the washings and anointings today, if you go through the temple, um, I want to talk about the clothing really quick. So right today, you just wear a normal, just a, like what she's wearing, just a regular temple dress or Mason um, you know, for the male side, I think it's just a white suit and tie. Is that correct? Uh, no suit, just just a white shirt, tie, and pants. There's no jacket, okay. unless oh, you're okay. a worker. Okay, yeah. So just so just white clothes, and yeah, and then they just so they just start so they go from wearing their normal Sunday attire, and then they just change into this dress, and then they go through this little washing and anointing, which we'll get into more. But I just thought that was interesting. That's a good. The last time I went through the temple, this is what I wore, and I thought that was kind of nice because you don't have to. I guess we'll go through these next slides. So Alex, I think I actually start. have that exact dress. Oh, I feel well, like beautiful. Yeah, it's, Mason. I I feel like maybe I should wear it for our next live show. Keep going. 
<laughs> okay, so after you 2005, <laughs> so after 2005, the, pen, the temple patrons, so the members they go to the temple, were instructed to put on their garments underneath, um, beneath this what's called what's called a shield during the initiatory, and the shield is just sort of a white poncho, and so like that was that's how I was when I was mm -hmm. um, me too when I got initiated. I don't know how to say that. Um, but I wore my garments underneath and, and they don't tell you anything about the garments. They just say, go purchase them and put them on. And so it was really, really weird for me to put them on. And then you put the white poncho on you and then you go through the this little ceremony. So, right. I'm actually going to pause you for a minute, Julia. Um, Alex, do you happen to have the pictures and you can just, just send me, you know, a thing in the private chat here. Do you happen to have the pictures that we used with the initiatory with MJ um, because we could actually pull those up. We have pictures of oh, those ponchos. Oh, uh, good. Okay. Yeah. I, because I when, like because that. when Mason and I went through, well, when I went through, I went through for the first time in 1999 and I was naked underneath it. So I did not get mm -hmm. the, at least I had my underwear already on. I had, I was naked with the ladies who were super sweet ladies, but like reaching under the poncho to touch yeah, me you, in the spots with water and oil can we talk about that can we go to the next slide i want to hear more yeah. about that because that's super interesting. yeah, yeah so alex ahead. if you go to the next slide so this is a picture this is what uh, this is on the website lds discussions which is a really great website this is the the illustration that is there so right. prior and this to is actually one of the ones that we used oh, last okay. or two weeks ago yep okay yeah so prior to 2005 the temple patrons were um, required to wear a shield and and they were they had no clothing underneath and that you said that was your experience yeah. So, yeah. So I went through, I think it was like May 30th, May 29th, something you have to go look up. My, my new name was Phoebe. Um, and so whatever the day that correlates, like if you get on the, what is it? The Oracle or whatever. Um, it, so I went through like May 29th, 30th, 31st around there, um, in 1999 and I was butt ass naked underneath the white sheet. So basically it's like a white bed sheet that's been sewn into this poncho thing, but it was open on the sides. And the thing that was really uncomfortable for me is, um, you know, we focus so much on sexual purity and all these other things. So my whole life, nobody, unless I'm married to them, is supposed to touch me underneath my clothing. Um, and this one, this one is a good representation here because the sleeves kind of hang a little bit longer than the one from the Mormon discussions. This, I would say, is more representative of what I wore. Um, and then it's, you know, completely open. But the thing that was really weird to me is that, you know, from the time I'm itty bitty, I'm being told that I'm not sexually pure. I'm not, quote unquote, worthy um, to even be in the temple if I'm being touched underneath my clothing period, like even in a non-sexual way, you know, I was not allowed to wear my midriff, the midriff shirt. So like, you know, I grew up, my high school years are in the late nineties. So the, the midriff shirts, the kind of the higher waisted pants, uh, that was my generation. I mean, it, I got in trouble for anybody seeing my belly button. Um, and yes, my parents were very extreme, but that was actually, I grew up in Snowflake, Arizona. Snowflake, Arizona is like, when I was there is like over 87% active LDS, right? So um, it, it was just such a huge Mormon community and it was the norm. Don't touch somebody under their clothing. Like my shorts went to my knees. Um, my sleeves had to cover what would eventually be the garment. And so my very first experience in the temple, and I've already been through, but by the way, let me back up here. I've already been through a disciplinary council once because I had sex with my boyfriend when I was 16. And so I got, you know, chastised, shamed, wasn't allowed to take sacrament, so on and so forth. 
So then when I get to the temple and they are touching me under my clothing, um, I Sorry. have no yeah. idea what that was, but Sometimes awesome. just like to be really loud. Right okay. Now. So you've got some hogs heading down your road. Got it. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so for me, it was really interesting that the very first thing I'm doing inside the temple, other than the baptisms for the dead, which will Mason and I will um, talk about here in a very uh, near future date, is that I've got old ladies literally reaching under that shield to touch me, you know, on my breastbone and then above my navel and then below my navel, but not my pubic bone you know, and they, and they're touching and they're not like feeling me up or anything. They've got like a drop of water on their finger and they do it. And then they do it again with oil, whatever, but to have anybody underneath that after all these years of nobody is supposed to be there, but like the doctor and your husband, that's it. So that it was, it just threw me for a loop it, it, and, and I'd had some sexual trauma. Um, it, yeah, it was not good. Not yeah. good. I'm so sorry that happened to you like that yeah. Mason what was it like for you because we didn't talk about what it's like for the man like what was your initiatory like did you get this fancy dress thing too oh yeah you wear the same thing okay yeah um it was weird but that was about it like I I mean I, I I've talked with you many times about you know I'm not a very self-aware person like paying attention to the details and going oh my gosh this is creepy wouldn't have occurred to me it was weird but even then it wasn't like they like they didn't slide their hands in and actually touch your belly button or anything like that it was more of a side thing they kind of touched you on the side of your pelvis so you weren't anywhere near anything that you know would be inappropriate the breastbone you know they just kind of touched you right up here on the top they're not trying to get down in anywhere or anything like that so it was weird it was a little awkward but that's about all me yeah well and nobody was trying to touch me right you know in my private areas not at all um it was just weird to have anybody putting their hand under me as part of a religious ser not under sure. me under my clothing as part of a religious ceremony sure. yeah. yeah for sure luckily for for us by the time we went through I, I went through in 2013 this was not a thing I would have been so freaked out if <laughs> I had a bit being you had naked yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Under, was like, woo, that I would well, have been like. Yeah, well, and I was also menstruating, which oh, made no. it even worse. So, I'm mean, yeah, like in my book, when you read my book, you find, I mean, I was bleeding all the time. I had a lot of problems with uh, yeah. like bleeding way too much. And so I was bleeding and it didn't, it didn't matter. Like I was not allowed to wear anything to catch the blood. And I told them, I was like, hey, I'm bleeding. And they actually gave me a temple shield that already had, a little bit of the brown blood stains. Oh my gosh. So it's yeah. almost like, oh, well, because you're menstruating, let's go ahead and put you in one that has oh. already. I'm going to get the period one. Yeah. So mine what? wasn't even what? fully white. Maybe that means that when they pronounced me clean, I wasn't actually clean because my shield was <laughs> definitely stained crimson red at that point. Well, and, and I think, oh. I think a lot of. I think a lot of the bother for me is that, of course, you know, a lot of this has changed, as you just talked about right now, you just wear the garments, you don't symbolically get it put on. But even when I went through this is back in 96, um, they talk about, you know, this is a symbolic thing and, and blah, blah, blah. But it's just interesting that 
you can, as a religion, put so many people in a really awkward position. And, and awkward is probably just the least word that you could use. I think most people felt a little awkward, uh, or probably everybody felt a little bit awkward. Most people felt more than that. But then to now be in this situation where they've changed all of that, they've taken the awkward out, but they haven't acknowledged any of the fact that it was awkward. Where again, we're not talking about is oh, a lot of people complained about that. Well, let's change it. But we'll change it as if it was always this way. And that's really what bothers me is not so much that it's changed. I think the changes are good. But the fact that you've changed them in such a way as if to say it's it's always been that way. What are you even talking about? What you know, yeah. that kind of thing is yeah. like gaslighting. Gaslighting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Gaslighting stuff. So yeah. yeah All right. So if you have if you have more questions about what actually happens in the initiatory, please feel free to go back and watch our show on the initiatory. So and turn the time back over to you, Julia. Yeah. Oh, sure. For me. Oh, and you America. Yeah. Go ahead. For me, the initiatory was actually the the best and like most spiritual part of the whole temple experience because the endowment is just so boring. But the initiatory was like, I was so amazed by the fact that there was a woman giving me this this blessing and like, it was like very personal and, and it was like the most wonderful part. I can't imagine how that would feel if you also were naked. Like what? I don't know. But anyway. Let's You're not the first I, person to say that. Like, even when we talked about it with MJ, she kind of talked about like that was her favorite part. Um, mm -hmm. So you're not the first person to talk about that. Some people can completely overcome, even when when it was more revealing, completely can completely overcome that part and just feel I'm not I'm not a woman. But to walk into the temple and to have a woman put her hands on your head or your woman doing the, a woman, woman doing the ordinance has to feel pretty amazing. So I can yeah. I can see that as being like the overriding thing. Like you walk away and maybe later deal with some of the awkward or weird, but at the at the moment it's like, oh my, oh my gosh, there's a woman putting her hands on my head. Yeah. There's hope for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like a high, like, oh, this is the most spiritual experience I've ever had. I didn't even know that God approved of this kind of a thing. Right. And it's so beautiful. And but then you walk away from it later going, wait, if we can have the priesthood in the temple, why can't we have right. the priesthood See? anywhere else? Camel's uh -huh. nose, camel's nose right there. Yeah. <laughs> so Mace. So yeah, I was gonna add to that. I was gonna say, you know, if you once I got past the icky touching, you know, once I because I'm not I'm definitely not a afraid of my body showing or I've never struggled with that. I'm a pretty confident human in my body. For me, it was just so disconcerting at the at the mixed messages but when I went back and did initiatories again I thought that the blessings were absolutely beautiful and yeah like you Marvel I definitely or America I definitely had the mm -hmm. I mean we, we can call you Marvel like you Captain female Captain America going Captain on over there um, <laughs> Captain Marvel yeah so um but but I agree with you it was like wait a minute why do why do you the women get to do this here but nowhere else like what's the problem with that yeah. so um, really quickly before we move to the next piece, I just want to say, hey, listeners, there are a lot of you joining us live today. And so if you have questions or comments or things that you would like for us to address, please do. You're also invited to ask a specific question to a specific guest. Like, I, I'm, I think I speak for all of us. All four of us are very comfortable um, answering 
any question that you might have. So please just get into the comments and leave a comment. Um, and we are doing our best to um, preview all of the platforms so that way we can, can respond to you in real time. Totally. All right, we'd go love, ahead, Julie in America. Yeah. Yes, if you go to the next slide, Alex. Um, so in the 1800s, so of course, I don't have a visual for this, but in the 1800s, originally... Um, I'm disappointed in that, by the way. <laughs> you can't put um, something like completely naked on the board and not have pictures to go along. Bold and underlined. <laughs> we just need you to envision. Yeah, yeah. bold and underlined. I'm just, but, I don't know what to do with that. All right, so yeah, this is our image from our last show. This is yeah. what it used to look like, yeah. Now, this is from the 1920s in the Salt Lake Temple, and I have the same picture later in my slide. So yeah, in the early initiatory in wash the washing and anointings, you were completely naked. So so I'm, I'm glad at least that they added a shield. I'm glad at least they added the garments under the shield, and I'm glad that today it's you're in a full dress. Uh, again, Mason, like you said, I wish that they would acknowledge, hey, I'm sorry that, the, that we had it this way, but we've made these changes, and we apologize, and this is how we're going, going forward, like how it is going forward. So like, I wish that was a thing, but... You know, one more thing that just keeps coming comes to mind for me on that one is that if you look at this progression you can only imagine and I'm, I'm maybe we have some evidence of this but you can imagine that the reasons those changes were made if if historically they did things the same way they do things now they got complaints they got people saying this isn't okay we can't be doing this anymore this isn't right so the church changes the way they do things because the people say we can't do it this way but the church always talks about how God told us to do this, but the the actual progression of changes doesn't reflect that. So I think I that's true. To, came to my that, head. Just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's true with almost every change that the church mm -hmm. has experienced. Absolutely, and, and that's like everything, not was just it, the temple. Yeah. Was it Elder Holland who did the this thing? Oh yeah, Elder Holland. In one of his speeches, he talks about how the he's like the world moves here, and then the church moves here, and then the world yes. moves here, and then and then he's like, then we're like he. I think he sort of took his like, hand so in that way. By, by a few years later, we're where the world is, uh, had been, you know, had been. And then he's we're proud he's, of he's, it. I myself and we're like, oh, yeah, because you're revealing you're moving with the world. Not like be progressive for once. Right. <laughs> right. Well, especially, especially if God truly is at the head of this church, you think he would know. Yeah, we're saying ahead of time. In a hundred years, actually, black people will be a part of the priesthood. So why don't we just go ahead and do that ahead of time? Well, right. no, no, no. We had to wait for you know equal rights and all the civil war stuff to come down, and then the church is like, no, we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to do that. Oh, we better do that because people are mad. At us. It's the same with everything, right? Same with polygamy, right? They didn't give up polygamy until when? 1920s. Until and well, until the United yeah, States but even, government. Even if you look to, at legally they didn't give up polygamy until 1890 but that happened but after congress until the 19 they did they did but yeah. that's that's not my point <laughs> but right. they didn't they didn't right. say they didn't say we're going to stop until congress passed the law that disincorporated the church yeah congress said yeah. look we've spent 10 years fighting you we've spent 10 years fighting you on this you're not giving up you're done we will we will tear your organization apart if you don't give it up so finally, the church said, "Well, we can't, we can't fight that." So I guess, yeah, God I says. How much... Sorry, Alex told me in the beginning, "Don't talk over people," and here I am talking over people. It's hard not to. <laughs> it is so well, and Mason and I—that's just how we communicate at home. I wonder how long the church is going to continue to commit tax fraud 
before that happens again. <laughs> Just saying. Well, oh, I, like, goodness. I don't know if you talk about this in these slides, but um, you recently found out that, you know, the prayer roll. Um, oh, yeah. Do you, do you talk about this? I don't have this in the slides, but. But in the yeah the, in the temple there's a prayer roll which I think is it's actually a beautiful thing so in, and even in our church that we attend we light candles for people um, but yeah there's a prayer roll but in the and where in which if you if somebody needs help or if somebody's moving or if one of your kids is losing their their faith in the gospel you write down their name and they set it on the altar and then they pray just in general for these people on the, on the prayer roll but before that in the early church history they would do that for for the sake of cursing people like also, them also as well as yeah as well people. as oh. so they would they would write down the presidents of the church that they didn't like that didn't support their stances and so in polygamy yeah and so there was a lot of presidents that were on that list of cursing so that was that was interesting so okay the, so then my question is did it go into a little black bag so that way you know you have like the the curse bag because like you, you know the white the bag blessings black go, bag. are the white little baggie on the temple altar do they have it like a different color to be like all right know. lord That'd bless really the cool. names in here and the curse the names in here because god probably couldn't keep it separate yeah, unless we put it in a different bag god's not going to be able to tell you're going to have to separate it so god understands uh, yeah. oh that yeah i did not okay i did not know that keep going yes, I, think, I think this is reflective i think that is reflected in the oath of vengeance which we'll talk about later so just all keep right. that in mind with the oath of vengeance so all right spoiler alert keep going yeah. okay so <laughs> we have the next slide um so then, then we're going to get into the, the washing part of the initiatory so that was what we wear during this initiatory is is either we were dressed shield with garments um or just, just in shield, the buff or just in the buff yeah so <laughs> so you can go next. to the next one okay so the washing today which i the the washing and anointing was my favorite part as well i didn't know this part was going to happen but so today during the washing they get their they get their fingers they just put a drop of water and they put it on your forehead and they're like now you're pronounced clean and i didn't know that was a thing because when you're baptized at age eight you're pronounced clean and and so, so that you, you know, had to be wholly submerged. So this right. is very reminiscent of like a like a Catholic baptism. Yeah, which I guess yeah. I wouldn't think about in that way. Yeah, this but is I, totally deja vu from when we did this. Like the fact they're saying this is like a christening. Why can't? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, but I just love that part because I didn't know that I was going to be washed clean or pronounced clean, and and I got endowed before my mission, and so that was that was fun for me. But yeah, so that was how they did. That's how they do it now. And then if you Can go I make to the one next more slide, comment? oh sure, did you have um, something? Because you brought up baptism. So in baptism, you are cleansed from your own sins. If you remember this one, it says that I pronounce you clean from the bloods and sin, blood and sins of this generation. So it's oh, not so it's exactly not the same own. thing. Yeah, okay. just in the interest of full disclosure, it's a similar thing, but it's not the same thing. Right. That's that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you show this. I'm full of interesting points. <laughs> So you showed this already. This is a bathtub in the in from the Salt Lake Temple in 1912, and so they would they would bring the patrons in. They would they would wash them fully in this in this tub, and so like people are having people don't have that idea when they think of the washing anointings. But that's super interesting. So right. wait, was this tub ever full of the cinnamon whiskey? Because Probably I mean, not. I don't think so. I think that was I think that was an early thing before Brigham Young even took over. I mean, as I far feel... as like, as far as I can read. I feel a little gypped. I mean, I think that they really need to you bring would. the, the would. whiskey washing back, like yeah. in the little horn thingy or whatever it is, like that's on the drip, like just have the fire whiskey on drip. To... 
Okay, keep going. I'm missing like, out. We're gonna wash you, and you're like, can you just give me a minute? <laughs> Here's I brought up. my I brought my shot glass. Hey, y'all, I had I literally had peach whiskey for breakfast this morning. I heard you only had whiskey. I brought some bubbles. Is that gonna be okay? <laughs> oh good oh yeah our producer just let reminded me that you can't put certain bits in fire or in cinnamon whiskey it's just not very comfortable yeah so. I put a, people ask me that i made a tiktok about this and like i can't imagine bathing your whole body in cinnamon whiskey <laughs> feeling good and maybe that's why women tend to do it because like it would be a lot more invasive if anyway let's wait one on. thing one thing that i do <laughs> want to say that i think is interesting is that during these cinnamon whiskey baths, they just a lot of these early temple ceremonies did not take place in the temple because the temple wasn't finished till later. Right. Um, so 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 it's interesting to me that all these temple ordinances can be done outside of the temple and still be valid. So so in reality, the members of the church don't actually need temples, but the church still continues to make them um, for various mm -hmm. reasons. But I just thought that was really interesting that we really don't need the temple because they even with the endowments, they did those in the Masonic Hall and then before the temple was finished. So. I can't yeah. really think of any of them. That... Dude, washing and anointing anywhere there's a bathtub, apparently. Yeah, and I and I think right. they did baptisms for the dead outside of the temple as well. They did, did. yes. I remember that that piece of history. So, okay, my last fire whiskey comment, and then I promise <laughs> I will get off the whiskey. I love fire, or I love cinnamon whiskey. Is you know how you when you when you're in like nutrition or dietary classes and they talk about you know getting enough water to drink because it's basically like washing your insides out. I would be up for that type of cinnamon whiskey cleansing. Just saying. <laughs> okay, keep no, going. It's delicious. Just sip on it. It's so good. Okay, so so yeah, if you go to the next slide. So this is another tub. This is just a tub that I took from a from a historical website of where they talk about the bathtubs, the history of bathtubs. So this is just a bathtub that's that's also in the 1800s. And so the patrons would climb into a large tub, and the temple the temple worker would wash them. And one thing that I thought was interesting that I just read yesterday is in Heber C. Kimball's journal, he says that they bought stoves to heat up the water and to put in the, and that they had purchased two new troughs and they were, they were large enough that three men could be washed at the same time. And so I thought that was really, rather <laughs> dub dub, three men in a tub. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'm not sure that he's saying that they were actually washed at the same time or, or that they were, it was just big enough to have it happen. But I think that was, I thought that was interesting. Let's leave that up to Mason to decide. What do you think? Mason's Mason's uh, like yeah Mason's more of a one male one female at a time kind of a person. I mean, it sounds hot. I have several <laughs> clients and friends. How many that... keep my thoughts to myself? <laughs> That's no fun. So you just need to put these tubs in the new swingers clubs that are cropping up all over the state of Utah right now. <laughs> what do we find? I wonder if they'd be interested I mean, in cinnamon whiskey. <laughs> I mean, I guess I yes, guess I can enjoy yes. this. I can enjoy the thought of that happening in the other half of the temple. I can do that. There you go. Right. Well, and that. one of the things, so we've talked about this before. Um, so Alex is reminding me, Alex says in Japan, I'm going to also say in Korea and a lot of cultures, communal bathing is um, very cultural. It's a very special thing. You know, one of the best experiences that I had um, around the time I was verbally like out loud leaving the mormon church was i went to a korean bathhouse uh and spa so king spa in dallas and they had the male and the female communal washrooms um where you are naked and so i don't necessarily think that communal bathing is a bad thing um not at all 
when you know what's going to happen, when you you consent. Like, it's not like I am dragging somebody in to the communal bathtubs um, without telling them what's, what's going to happen and what the rules are. Like, you know, for example, at the King Spa, and I've only been to the one in Dallas, um, Mason and I need to go to the one in Chicago because it's closer. And my bestie moved all the way up to Washington, the stupid brat. I love you. I love you, Danny. But she did. She moved away from Mason. I'm mad at her. Um, but we need to go to the one in Chicago. But like, there's signs everywhere. They're like, no cell phones past this point. If you even have a cell phone, they'll press charges and whatnot. But the people that are entering know what they're going for. And I think that that's really the biggest issue with the temple stuff is, you know, and maybe Julia, you can speak to this. Did the members know what was going to happen before they got there? Or was it like, hey, I want this temple experience. And then they're doing this communal washing because I've, I know lots of people who are like, yeah, Sarah, you're really brave. I could never do that. Um, whereas other people are like, hey, let's go hang out on the nude beaches in Europe. And that's an amazing experience for them. And so really for me, it comes and we can joke about it and whatnot. Um, we say that Mormonism doesn't focus on sex in the temple. And I would say <laughs> not true. Um, it's subtle, but it's definitely there, but also informed consent. So. Yeah. So the early church members did not know what they were getting into. So yeah, there's a lot of, there was early exposés of like Annaliza, Marietti Smith that talk about these and they were very surprised that these things were happening. So I, so I think you're right. Some of these things are okay. Um, in Mormonism, some of the things like, like, uh, having more than one partner, um, I think those are things can be fine as long as you have consent of all the parties. So right, that like, is, um, historically not what was happening in Mormonism. Right. So like, and we've talked about this on the show before, like consensual non-monogamy can work. I actually, I mean, I've got clients, um, that I've worked through. They've, they can have absolutely beautiful connective relationships, the difference between consensual non-monogamy and Joseph Smith's polygamy was every party is supposed to know what's going on and not the, not the nitty gritty details, but, but there's consent, there's knowledge beforehand. So, you know, like when you read into, oh goodness, what is her name? Mason, can you look up um, the book, Polly Secure? I've forgotten her name, Polly Secure, Polly Wise. It's on our Audible actually. Um, She talks about the only difference between like, ethical non-monogamy and cheating is awareness it's it's the honesty up front that this is what you're doing jessica fern thank you jessica fern i'm sorry julia go ahead i was gonna say i think certain rules that the couples follow are also really important so not just awareness but following those specific rules right which joseph would set himself rules and then break all of them so he wasn't doing either right consensual also only went one way Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, and in Joseph Smith's time, it was assignment behind people's backs, super secret, but consensual non-monogamy works when all of the parties are able to consent and honor boundaries and have really strong communication skills and transparency. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole show just on that right. and we probably will um, uh, actually coming up this year. We'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about that, but yeah, I do find it very interesting that what we talk about in the temple isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like there's nothing in the temple that's quote unquote bad or dangerous if you know what you're doing. And I think that understanding the history behind it is very beneficial for that. So. I, I'll disagree with you, um, but I'll bring that up later because I think there is a part that I would disagree that I don't think anyone should be asked to do this in the temple, but 
we can talk about that and this is right. going well, and i'm talking about like so like the the throat the the old science and stuff no but like i'm talking oh, yeah. about yeah okay we'll get to it keep going yeah, that's what yeah okay yeah, keep going so yeah if you want to go to the next slide alex Okay, so this is, we don't have to go through all of her experience, but Annalisa talks about hers. She was one of the first exposés on the temple in, in detail. This is, this is the wife number 19 book that we have uh, released, mm -hmm. re-released. Well, yes. and if you look right in the center, so like you've got head to my feet, like watch me from my head to my feet, repeating certain formulae to the effect that I was washed clean from the blood well, of this generation. generation. Way to go, Mason. Gold star yeah. for you. Okay, yeah. keep going. Yeah, so, yeah I know my stuff. Yeah, so she was just, she just says that she was washed in a large tub, then Miss Eliza R. Snow washed her with three other women, and two or three other women in attendance, and then she says she was washed from her head to her feet, and then she just kind of goes through her experience, and if you want to switch to the next slide, and she also says she was wiped dry, um, so do you want to go to the next one? Next slide, Alex. There we go. Okay, so this is Mary Eddie Smith. She, she wrote an expose as well, and she was a member for 15 years. And then, so she talks about hers. Here we were undressed and washed in a large tub of warm water by women who were ordained to the office. So she's just sharing her experience as well. And then next. Well, and I think that's interesting. Like, how would it have been different if they could have chosen, um, if they could have chosen who it was that was going to wash? Yeah, kind of like when you're, when you're going to be baptized and you're like, I want my father to baptize me or whatever. Like, like a relative. Like or... knowing that this is going to be a spiritual experience that you and this other person that you trust um, will be participating in. And like, I found it to be really fascinating that Eliza R. Snow is the one who is doing the washing and anointing of um, Eliza, uh, Anne Eliza, sorry. Yeah. Um, just because I have theories. I have theories that she's not straight. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so now we talked about, about that the last time you guys were here. Yeah. yeah. Because this is my favorite theory. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay. So, <laughs> I think that's really off topic, but and D. Yeah. D. Michael Klein wrote a book about the 19th century study of of uh, the queerness in Mormonism, and he and he talks about the theory that that uh, Eliza R. Snow was not straight. So, if that if you want to learn more, you can go there and, and learn more about that. Yeah. Okay, so now awesome. we're going to talk about the anointing part of the, the initiatory. So Alex, if you want to go to the next slide. So today, today during the anointing, a temple worker puts a drop of oil on the head of the patron, and the temple worker then blesses the patron, and soon another worker joins and blesses her also. And I, and I think it's the same with, with the men, except for men are blessing you. So It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so just, okay, so it's just a single drop. And, and for me, when I, was, when I got uh, anointed or whatever, they do it on this with this cow horn. I don't know if it's a cow horn specifically, but the the olden times it was a cow horn too. I don't know if you. I think yours might have been a different experience. I don't remember a cow horn, but it was a long time ago. So, yeah. did do my, you guys remember a cow horn? Yeah, my sister actually. It, when we got to the celestial room, that was one of her questions. Was what was that? And I don't remember if it was called a cow horn, but it was some sort of a trumpeting, right? Something that had been flipped upside yeah. down. That they, yeah, but I don't remember what they had called it. But yes, I think it is some type of a cow horn. Um, yeah, something, something like that. So I just say cow horn because in the early, like in Heber C. Kimball's journal and stuff like that, they talk, they say cow horn specifically. So, but I just remember being, I don't know if it was real, if it was just the shape of it, but I just thought that was really interesting. Like, I'm sure there's some symbolism there. I just don't, I didn't. Yeah, my, the temple, the celestial, so the celestial room, of course, we've talked about in the celestial room, you're allowed to ask questions, but not really and so my sister was asking about the symbolism and it had to do something with the trumpeting in the old testament 
to call people in. Mason, do you know what story that's from? It was specific. I no. just remember it being specific to the Old Testament when she answered my sister's question. And that that was the first realization I had of why are we basically our last step to get into heaven is revisiting and reviving Old Testament things that were supposed to be uh, done away with. Yeah. With Christ. Oh, so that's yeah. interesting. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Okay. Next. Do you want to read this one? Sure. In the late 1800s, the temple patrons were required to bring their own bottles of the best olive oil, save some money. Um, for the temple. <laughs> so after being, yeah, after being dried from their washing, the temple patrons were literally anointed with oil and on nearly every part of their naked body at this time. Yeah. So one thing that I, and we'll, I think we'll show her story a little bit, but analyze it. Oh, they also say that these were perfumed with lavender. So I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure how you perfume oil, but they talk about that. Uh, you just infuse it. You just stick lavender right into it oh, and okay. bottle it up oh. and, and let it sit. And my oil's coming from Greece. Just saying. Nice. So <laughs> you would have been bringing your own best oil. Cause you're like, I have this great lavender oil from Greece. And that's what I want to be anointed with from my head to my toes. Well, and I mean, with from the a accent health as well, yeah. With the accent, the accent's not Sorry. Greek, but it is beautiful. <laughs> I didn't say it was Greek. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, what, so, I mean, olive oil on your body and your hair is actually really healthy. It's, it's a good health practice. That would be expensive, though. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so if you go to the next slide, um, so this is, are you going to read all of this? I don't know if we need to read it. I mean, pause to read. <laughs> so they anoint her head, her forehead, her eyes, her ears, her mouth, her tongue, her arms, her hands, just like everything with oil. Um, does it talk about, do you talk um, about this? I can't somewhere? remember if it's in here. So but... she talks about, Analyza Webb talks about in the book how she was dripping with oil, like dripping into her eyes. So that she was, um, during the endowment, she was just like, like having to wipe it out of her yeah, face she because she, she was... couldn't even see from the oil dripping into her face. She said she felt nauseous. And so one, the one thing that I wanted to add too is Analyza was I think 17 when she was first went through the temple and she was very sick. In fact, I think she was like close to death and, and her family thought that it, it, they, or the leaders said that if she went through the temple and got endowed, she would be healed. And so they, they took this sick girl and they put her through all this stuff. And of course she's, you know, so she's experiencing this oil while she's really sick. So I, I wonder if that also helped um, her because she said she couldn't even be around olive oil after this because it was so bad for her. Well, like, I mean, so I'm yeah, not so a I fan of with... how it smells. Like I wouldn't want it all over my body either. But, but even when you're sick, that I mean, that's a... that too. So right, if you're talking about later not even being able to like be around olive oil, I, that's a trauma response. That right. like it was right. so gross, like I just couldn't do it anymore. That, that's mm -hmm. definitely a trauma response. So I actually, America, if you wouldn't mind, or Julia, if you wouldn't mind actually reading this, because this will be a podcast later, oh, sure. I would love for the listeners to hear this, um, mostly because it's similar to what they said the last time I went through. And, you know, as we talked about, the blessings and stuff are really beautiful. It's not necessarily the blessings that are problematic as much right. as it is. And we can re reiterate that this was our favorite part. Like you, you've said this yes. and this is mine as well. So like you said, it's not a bad thing. I just wish that they would give more informed consent or have started from the beginning of not making a quite this. Or you ask questions afterward that are actually allowed to be answered. So. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'll go ahead and read it. 
Sister, I anoint your head that I may be prepared for that crown of glory awaiting you as a faithful saint and the fruitful wife of a priest of the Lord. Sorry, that's annoying to me. <laughs> yeah, must be a wife of the priest of the Lord. Okay, your forehead, uh, your forehead that your brain may be quick of discernment, your eyes that they may be quick to perceive the truth and to avoid the snares of your enemy, your ears that they may be quick to hear the word of the Lord, your mouth that you may be with wisdom, that you may with wisdom speak the words of eternal life and show forth the praise of the immortal gods, your tongue to pronounce the true name which will admit you hereafter behind the veil and by which you will be known in the celestial kingdom. I anoint your arms to labor in the cause of righteousness and your hands to be strong in building up the kingdom of God by all manner of profitable works. I think if you, I think if you go to the next slide, she might continue this list. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. I anoint your breasts that you may prove a fruitful vine to nourish a strong race of swift witnesses, earnest in the defense of Zion, your body to present it an acceptable tabernacle when you come to pass behind the veil your loins that you may bring forth a numerous race to crown you with eternal glory and strengthen the heavenly kingdom of your husband, your master and crown in the Lord. Oh my God. Okay. Um, yeah. As you're, as you're reading this America, I'm like, Oh wait, what I thought was really beautiful is actually really annoying me mostly because they're <laughs> blessing you with strength and health and all these things. But then in the next breath, that's either for your husband or for for god or for the church so no offense mason yeah yeah keep going oh i just i would like to point out that i completely agree but this is not what they say anymore so right. your experience in the initiatory was completely different because oh, yeah. while there's there's some similarities it is not like this right in so fact if i'm if i'm not mistaken the blessings given to the women in the initiatory are exactly the same as the blessings given to the men Hmm. That's so, so it's it's yeah. it's completely different now i would say i'd want to look into that because um i specifically remember because i was struggling with infertility right mason for us and so yeah. when they would breast my bless my loins or my womb or whatever it was that i could raise up seed unto that's god true, or something they, like they that they definitely blessed the womb and that, that would not have been in the male part of it so that would be an interesting yeah. thing to compare the two of them so yeah it would be it would be interesting so go ahead and in fact while you guys keep reading i'm gonna look, actually look it up and see if i can find it so go ahead keep going okay. uh to continue I on i anoint your knees on which to prostrate yourself and humbly receive the truth from god's holy priesthood your feet to run swiftly in the ways of righteousness and stand firm upon the appointed places. And now I pronounce your body an acceptable temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you there want you to go. go to the next slide, I can't remember what's there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is where she talks about, do you want to read this one too? So this yeah. is, she talks about her experience with all of this. So she says, as may be imagined, I was literally besmeared with oil from my head to my feet. I breathed it, smelled it, tasted it. It ran into my eyes and made them smart fearfully and dripped in any but an agreeable manner, <laughs> dripped in any but an agreeable manner from my hair. I was fairly saturated with it, was cognizant of nothing else. And I was so nauseated from it that I could scarcely go on with the ceremonies. I got a distaste for it then that I have never got over. And to this day, even the sight of it makes me ill. Even the sight of it, not even the smell, just the sight of it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's wow. trauma. There. That's what we're about. That's what we're about in Mormonism is trauma and blessings. Yeah. So I found it for the men. Um, the washing doesn't seem to have. So just to kind of follow up on that question, the washing does not 
Um, okay, there's the anointing. Let me get back up to the washing. All right. Brother, whatever your name is, having authority, I wash you preparatory to receiving your anointings for and in behalf of name the person that's dead, who is dead, that you may become clean from the blood and sins of this generation. I wash your head that your brain and your intellect may be clear and active, your ears that you may hear the word of the Lord, your eyes that you may see clearly and discern between truth and error, your nose that you may smell, your lips that you may never speak, Kyle, your neck that it may bear up your head properly, your shoulders that they may bear the burdens that shall be placed thereon, your back that there may be marrow in the bones and in the spine, your breasts that they that it may be a receptacle of pure and virtuous principles, your vitals and bowels that they may be healthy and strong and perform their proper functions, your arms and hand that they may be strong and wield the sword of justice in defense of truth and virtue, your loins that you may be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, that you might have joy and rejoicing in your posterity, your legs and feet that you might run and not be weary and not faint. And then for the anointing, I anoint you preparatory to become a king and a priest unto the most high God hereafter to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever. And then it is basically the exact same thing. So I'm wondering now, something that we'll have to follow up with later is have those words changed between when like I, you know, like the other changes, like from when I was going through a 99 and you guys later and to what it is now, because I very much remember them blessing my womb to be fruitful, to bring up seed to my husband and to the Lord. I recall that as well, but maybe, maybe they, maybe it was changed to the loins. Cause you talked, cause it mentioned the loins. And so maybe that's similar with the men and women. I can't remember. It's, it's been a while. Um, been I'm there. looking at, I'm looking at the one for the women right now. And it's exactly the same thing that you just read. So I can't speak to 1999 when yeah, you went through Sarah, but yeah. So let's well, follow up on that. Yeah. 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 We'll okay. follow up on that. Okay. Keep going. Okay. So if you want to switch to the next one, Okay, so now we're going to go into the endowment. So the so one of the things, let me just oh, run through So the, I'm going to pause you really quick. Sure. If we have any questions from our listeners about anything with the initiatory, go ahead and shoot that at us. Um, and we'll definitely get those answered. All right, go ahead, Julia. I'm just going to say, and you, you may have already talked about this, or this is probably going to be talked about later with the your episode with initiatory. So they, they just, they put you in a square room and they kind of have it um, separated off with curtains. And so one of them is just a waiting spot and then you move on and then that's where they put the drop of water and then you move on again and that's where they annoy your head and then you move on again and that's where they bless i think just overall your garments i think that's kind of how they initiate you into wearing your garments so it's those four little sections and then you're and then you're done and then you and then you go into this endowment ceremony if you are going through for yourself so that's what we're going to talk about so after you can, putting clothes on right yeah <laughs> after getting dressed well like nowadays you're just in your temple dress so so you just stay in the same clothes so just grab your little pouch Oh, I think, oh, I'm hearing us here. Hang on, let me mute us. Um, so I actually just got on, oh goodness, I can totally hear myself twice here. Okay, just let me turn my volume down. Do, 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 do. So we actually have a question. So Alex, one of the questions you and I had asked is, are we seeing all of the comments from listeners as they're coming up? And I'm going to say, no, we're not. Um, so I have a couple of people here. Um, hi, Teresa Dunback. Uh, great to have you here. Love you too, friend. Um, but I've got a question from Gary who says, wondering more info on original initiatory and the first main parts and who did them and initial garments if Jesus showed them the temple ceremony, why the changes? And so I'm going to say that, that that question to me seems a lot like um, 
wondering more info on original initiatory. So yeah, like what were the words originally and then what are they now? And if Jesus revealed that to them, why would it, why would it change so substantially? So like what you just showed. So Alex, can you go back to like, I think it's two slides. Um, Go backwards. Yeah. One more. So yeah. So in this with a and Eliza Webb's anointing, and then what Mason and I just read off of now, it's obviously changed. So yeah, Gary, I think that you bring up a really good point in um, if if this was supposed to be directly from God, like Joseph Smith is the one that I, I'm guessing, right, who revealed well, the temple so, ceremony. Because yeah, go ahead, Julia. I was just gonna, I just want to add. So with the early ones where they did the cinnamon baths and stuff like that in the 1830s. So I don't know that we have specifically the exact wording for that. They just said we got it. We were washed and anointed. I don't know that. I don't know that there are records for that in the early times. But then um, a lot of what we have comes out after Joseph Smith's death of of what was actually said. So I don't know if this is going to answer the question. But so with Joseph Smith, he he um, started with a washing and anointing, and he did the signs and tokens and things like that. I think that the the story, and this was what we're going to talk about with the endowment. I think the drama of Adam and Eve was maybe not Joseph. And there's a chance that it could have started with Joseph, but I think that was mostly Brigham. Um, he was really into plays and things like that. And he got to be in one in Nauvoo. Uh, uh, Pizarro. Pizarro. So yeah, I think, I don't know if that one was Joseph, but everything else came from Joseph. So all of the things, all the secret things or the important things came from Joseph. So as far as the wording from that and how that's changed, I don't know from the 1830s. Um, but yes, what you just read in this, what we're seeing here with Analyza in the, I think she got in doubt in the 60s. I can't remember what years she got in doubt. She was 17, so it was it was pretty early on. So yeah, it changed it's changed significantly. And like you said, if Jesus was the one or God's the one that revealed these, why are they different now? So mm-hmm. that's a good question. Yeah. If awesome. God is it, it sounds almost it sounds almost rhetorical to me too, right? If if Jesus right. is the one that did this, why are we changing it? And you mentioned that, you know, we don't have records of it for some of what happened initially, which is fine. But if you just look back over our lifetimes, it's right. changed frequently enough. That it's obvious, it would seem unlikely that it's changed as many times as it has over the last 40 years and not changed at all before that. And we do have some records to show that it has. So, right. yeah, it, like when you can ask that question, if God gave us this as it was supposed right. to be, and Joseph Smith said, this should never change, mm-hmm. immediately you're left with the issue and the question of, um something's not right here yeah no. something's not right yeah part of it and part of that question i think involved the garments which i which i have a slide for later so i'll just hold off on that question until until that comes up later yeah we've got a involved. we've got another couple alex i was actually just texting you alex if you could check the um the business the sarah westbrook business profile because what it looks like we're getting in the comments at least on my end as i can see so for our, our our listeners and viewers that are on the Daisy Girl Communications side, those are the ones that are coming up. Um, and But I'm not seeing the questions from the Sarah Westbrook or the Sarah Lee Westbrook. And I'm not seeing the questions um, from the Unpacking Mormonism group or from the Analyzing Mormonism group. So Julie and America, if you want to check yours and see if you can see any comments that maybe we've got some viewer questions, let's go ahead and uh, maybe get those answered. I've got one uh, question from Shannon who says, were their clothes on? And so in the um, washing and anointing section, you were just covered in the sheet. In the old days, no, you were completely butt-ass naked. 
Um, then when I went through, I was naked under the sheet. Um, and now you're allowed to wear the magic underwear, the, the Mormon garment underneath the uh, shield. So now it is. And that was changed in, I believe, the early 2000s. Is that when it was changed? Ladies, Late, Julie, you would know better 2000s. when. Later 2000s? Later, like... This was within the last probably 10 years, if I remember correctly. Of the clothing? I'm sorry, what was the specific question? So the question yeah. is, when were when did they make the change so that you could wear your garments under the shield for the initial? Oh, so I know prior to 2005, you were naked. And then just shortly after that, they were they, you were allowed to wear the garments. And then just recently, and even in my, um, they even in my, I don't know how to say that. Um, I haven't been, because I was in data in 2012, and then I um, was excommunicated in 2021. Um, so then they were, they knew you were allowed to just wear your full dress with your garments. So like 2021 ish. So, so yeah, like since then. Yeah. Um, okay. I can't remember on that date, but yeah, in the 2000, around the 2005, it was, you were allowed to wear garments underneath. So, okay. Um, so that, that's one. And then hello, Hassler from South Africa. Welcome to the show. Uh, Julian America, did you see any questions? or comments on your no um so this is a technical issue i think it's saying that because it's made for kids that we cannot have comments and i don't know why it's set to made for kids comments got it okay and so what what i'm seeing here too is that if you are on the sarah westbrook professional business site so the name difference is sarah westbrook um, we cannot seem to access those comments. So if you want to um, hop on onto the Daisy Girl Communications um, side instead of the Sarah Westbrook side, you should be able to, to uh, chime those in. And I'm going to actually leave my phone on to watch them from the Sarah Lee Westbrook site. So. Did you see somebody was from South Africa? Yes, we have. Um, Hassler is watching us from South Africa. That, that is so cool. So my my grandparents were are from South Africa and they the missionaries met them there and then they moved to Salt Lake. So I just think that's really cool. Like someday that's awesome. I want to go back or want to go there. So yeah, I had the great opportunity recently to interview for my book actually with um oh goodness and I cannot okay yes Amy Polander this is the right one. Hello Amy yes Shannon I can see you now. Um all right so many of our listeners have switched over so now we are seeing your comments in our feed. So thank you. We will get this fixed for future shows because I don't want to miss your comments. Um so anyway, I did a, a recent interview and um oh goodness I can't remember what it was but it was in South Africa and since then like my book has exploded in sales in south africa since that that's podcast so, cool. so it's been really exciting yeah so all right keep going let's go ahead and move on to the endowment i think alex will need to like skip over a little bit yep. past the endowment one there we go one okay. more okay so i don't know um how i don't i don't go into a lot of details on this i don't say the secret signs and tokens um i do go into the penalties a little bit um uh, just because a lot of those have been pulled but so the endowment is a performance or a drama, and it's now a film in most cases. I, I don't know that they still do live performances in St. George and Salt Lake. City. I they don't know that for sure. When I lived there and yeah. four years ago, they still did live. So they so they this dramatization um is of the story of the story of the creation and the fall of Adam and Eve. And so that's that's overall what the endowment is. And then throughout that you get the signs and tokens and uh, the penalties, I guess. That have nothing to do with anything. Zero sense. Yeah. Right. Next. <laughs> Was that snark? 
just, no. just a little like bit. It was, it was felt like snark. So, that's why we get along so well. Cause <laughs> <laughs> That's what I bring to the table. She brings the history. I bring the snark. That's, we're a good team. Um, so Alex, you can go to the next Sounds one. Sounds about par for us too. She brings the intelligence. I bring the sarcasm and <laughs> it works for us. Okay. So at first I want to talk about the cast of this drama. So Alex, if you want to go to the next one. Um, so in the temple cast today, so the, uh, the film or cast consists of the following characters. There's Elohim, which is another name for God or heavenly father. And then you have Jehovah and Jesus. Uh, Michael and Adam, Peter, James, and John, and then Eve, and then you have Lucifer. I think he's called Lucifer in the movie. Is he called he Satan? He's Lucifer? Okay. Oh, he's called Lucifer in the okay, movie. So you, have, so you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You have these eight characters here. And so if you go to the next slide. So this I didn't know until like in my beginnings of my deconstruction. So in the temple cast in 19 or before 1990, there was another character called the preacher. And Kind of funny saying, yeah. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> oh, Willis is my main name. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So, hang on. On a side note, I served my mission in Salt Lake, and um, uh, we we got to go through some some live performance temple rituals. And uh, later, um, I was serving in an area, and my ward mission leader was really familiar to me. And I was like, "Why do you look so familiar?" And then I realized he played the devil in the in the performance. So, I thought that was really funny. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, so in the film before, in, in the 1990s, there was a preacher character. I think he also had a hat on if people, people, I wasn't endowed in 2012. So, um, yeah. Um, you didn't understand anything because it doesn't make It doesn't sense. explain anything. <laughs> right. So I, I love this comment by Amy. She says, I never understood anything even after going through a couple of times. I'm wondering if that's because I always deep down had questions. And I'm going to say, yeah. And the issue is that you have questions. But then also you can't go get answers. And Amy, did you go through Mason's in my temple prep class? Um, because if you did, I don't remember if she was there. We we know Amy. She's I don't amazing think so. human. Um, and so yeah, it, it yeah. Anyway, keep going. Well, I just want to say on her comment. So they say if you don't understand things or if you have questions, just keep going. Just keep going and keep going. And it to me, it never helped. Like all it did was sort of inoculates you. Yeah. And you just memorize things. You learn how it goes. Like I didn't need a temple helper worker to help me say all the things, but you don't, you, there's no further light. I never received further light and knowledge about it what just, I was doing. It just became normal. Like, right. oh yeah, that's just the way it is. Not, yeah, it the didn't further, make sense. It yeah. just was normal now. Yeah. So right. understanding all that came later when I looked into masonry and the Masonic rituals and stuff like that. So, right. And I just want to say to Amy, um, so she says, yes, she did go through Masons on my temple prep class. So Amy, I would love after today, if you went um, and found our temple prep, no prep. And if you need that link, just, you know, shoot me a message on face uh, messenger or whatever, because I would love to know if you remember that the pieces that we talked about and how you thought we did, but anyway, all right, keep going. Yeah, so there's the preacher character, and which I just thought was really interesting. Um, so what they do is they have the devil comes in and he's like, "Oh, um, you guys can listen to this preacher," and then uh, the Peter, James, and John sort of put down, put him down. Um, so that's like um, they're just trying to show that Mormonism is correct or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and everything else is not correct. So I just thought that was interesting. So the, the preacher is in cahoots with Satan. with the devil. Yeah. So yeah. it's just super interesting. That's it's almost um, offensive uh, yeah, <laughs> in a yeah. way. Um, well, it's sort of like, so, so oh wait, I'm confused. Is this like, like the preacher is another Character person in the film? Yeah. 
Okay, no. and is he this supposed is... to have been sent by God? This is or ex... by... No, no, this, this is, is an extension. Mm-hmm. Remember that Satan says there will be many who will be willing to preach to you the, the philosophies of men mingled with scripture. Yeah, and then he brings this was just guy. kind of that character to do that thing. Got it. So this okay. isn't like a temple version of like the story of Job where God and Satan are making bets on your life and, and no. fucking things up for you just for fun. No, Ooh, that this was just that character. Them. Okay. I think, they even, I think they even sang a hymn with him in the, I don't know original if it was in the one? film or if it was in the original one. Um, but anyway, I thought even just this one guy I thought was really, really interesting. Also, it reminds me of um, Brad Wilcox um, is one of the Mormon leaders, and he <laughs> he made a bad comment where he says that people are playing church that are not Mormons, which again, I think this is just, I, I, I think one of the reasons why he was pulled is that it's not very kind, um, even though I still think the church sort of has that same rhetoric, like you were saying, is like, there will be others willing to preach to you, but it's not right. It's not good. Um, Right. And I think that now they are trying to kind of blend in with the rest of the Christians, but at this time that they were not, uh, they were there was a different, definitely a, a line that they're all wrong. We're right. We're the only true church, right? Well, and I think even as they're trying to, because yes, I, I agree with you, America, that they're trying to right now the Mormon Church is trying to blend in with mainstream Christianity quite a bit, and you can see that. Um, in some very overt ways and some very subtle ways. Um, so I've got Grace and yeah, um, yeah, so Grace and Harmony. We, I've got right here, um, they, yeah, their chat on analyzing Mormonism is off due yeah, to protection we, of children. To... <laughs> They're working on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't feel very well protected, just so you know. Oh, yeah, we right. didn't really it's... set it up either, so I had no idea. Right. So as, as I was saying, they, they're trying to blend in with mainstream Christianity, but they still assert that they're the truest, most pure form of that. And then um, Shannon is my sister-in-law. Um, absolutely love you, Shannon. We don't, Shannon and I don't agree on hardly anything when it comes to our, our religious philosophies, but we are still super close. And I really appreciate that um, about her. Um, and so, yes, Shannon has never been um, Mormon uh, for reals. And as somebody that is Christ- that identifies as Christian, who's never been a true um, member of the church, cr- mainstream Christianity is not going to view Mormons as Christian because our theology on the Godhead is so different. All right. I went to the settings. There's nothing there. Yeah. So All there's right. a couple. I would mostly I would see the Mormons as being Christian. There's just a couple of things that I would say aren't, and that's the blood atonement, and then how the church treats other religions is right. is really. So Alex, if you go to the next slide, it, it will show more. So in the Temple cast in the 1800s, this is from Analyze's book, and she lists out a whole bunch of other characters that that I didn't even know were a thing. So there's there's not just one more preacher, but there's five preachers. There are five extra characters. So there's a Quaker preacher, and then she gives them the names. I don't know if the names are significant, but some of them are kind of funny, um, which is, again, really rude. Um, like <laughs> Timothy Broadbrim is the Quaker. Deacon Smith is the Methodist. Parson Peabody is the Presbyterian. Elder Smoothtongue is the Baptist. And Father Boniface is, a, is the Catholic preacher. Um, and then also another thing that she also has Jehovah and Jesus as listed as two different people, which I thought was really interesting. I'm not sure why that's a thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's one was the voice and one was the character of Jesus. I'm not sure why those are separate. So, yeah, well, and that's so weird. It's almost like because those are like the almost like the primary competitors 
to Mormonism. So it's almost like, don't listen to any of these people because they're all wrong too. Right. And even late earlier, um, they even mentioned the Strangites because they're, they're, they even list some of the religions that were breakoffs of the Mormon church and the Strangites were, and he even had his own set of plates and stuff like that. So yeah, they're saying like, these are our competitors. Do not listen to them. We are the one true um, church. Yeah. So, um, sorry. Give me a second. It's so Julia like pause from the show Alex says that your children thing is a setting in YouTube okay, um, so she pulled that up um, and so if you want to like chat with him in the private chat he might be able to help you get that unlocked so that way your audience can interact with us a little bit better so we are working on it um, analyzing Mormonism we definitely want to make sure that you are um, able to join us all righty. So Mason, what are your thoughts so far while we wait for, um, okay. I think I changed the setting. Yeah. So if somebody is, I think Coco just came up saying that she found us here. So maybe if she can go back and yeah, if, if I, one I, of the I, listeners, I think I clicked the right thing. Cause it was like, do you want this for kids? And I said, no. So hopefully that works. All right. Yeah. So if there's somebody watching us from analyzing Mormonism, if you could try and comment so we can see you, that would be amazing. Yeah. All righty. Do you want to keep going or do you want to wait for America? Um, uh, we can probably just keep going. Okay. Um, so you have to go to the next slide. Just don't want you to pay for that later. <laughs> I think it's fine. So, um, so Julia Coco says it still says disabled. Okay. All right. We will continue to work on that. Thank you so much, Coco, for checking. Okay. Let me see again. So it's, so it's on my end. It says it's, no, it's not made for kids. I don't know if it's needs time to. Yeah. I'm almost wondering if it, you'll have to like re like end the stream and then it'll kick in the next one. So yeah. for those I, of you who would like to make a comment, um, if you head to the Daisy girl communications, YouTube channel, um, or the Sarah, uh, Westbrook, um, Facebook page, um, you should be able to get in here. And then we've got from Brooklyn, people need to leave the video and then click it again. And the uh, settings should update is what we've got from Brooklyn. So if you're in analyzing Mormonism and you yes, want to try and stay there in order to support their platform, please like log out, log back in and see if it will let you comment. That way we can do that yay it works hello america thank you brooklyn you're brilliant i'm gonna put this up here um thank okay. you so Sorry much to our, well and i just want to say shout out to the audience thank you so much for troubleshooting with us um <laughs> this Sorry. is the first time we've done this from from a different platform yeah so. stream yeah. stream yard yeah. into youtube so yeah yeah awesome so thank you so much all right go ahead Julia okay, so you just and america. go to the next slide alex and we'll go on so so right now, um, I haven't been through the temple in a long time, but somebody, a, a video was released and I was able to watch that. And so this is where that's coming from. So in today, the drama and film is, is it's mostly a slideshow presentation. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no, it's not a video. It's, I think they're all of it is a presentation. That's correct. Okay. And so a lot of it, it are pictures. It's basically, Jesus. it's basically the same narrative as when you had right. the video, but they've just made it a slideshow. And stuff. Right. Which I, which I think is interesting. And we'll talk on that before we'll talk on that as well. Um, so a lot of the pictures are of Jesus, which is new. Um, usually he wasn't depicted as much. It was just his character. But there's a lot of um, paintings of Jesus that have never been seen before. So that was that's a nice addition to that. 
Um, so you'll see the slides of the pictures of Adam and Eve and Jehovah and 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 then from the old film from the film that we'll talk about. So they, now that's just the now it's just the images. Um, yeah, and so I just thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know if there's anything more to say on that. They're just trying to make it more I would, I would, focused on Jesus. Um, yeah, point out that before this, Jesus had a very minor role in, in the endowment session. Like you could literally take him out, and he like I still it would feel continue that way on with it, no but... issues because he's literally just a messenger between God and yeah. the humans. So I know, and that's yeah. that's something that's super fascinating um, for to me as well because we talk about that the Mormon Church is so focused on Jesus, but then when you actually go to their church and attend their services and look at their content, it's really not. Um, so James Trek says, Julia, great job on LDS discussions the other day. Hey, James, you. can you yeah. give us, yeah, give us what show so our audience can follow and support them, please, because so, that's awesome. So that was on Mormon Stories from the LDS discussions where we talked about uh, John C. Bennett. So and we'll, we're uh, doing more parts of that. So yeah, so thank you for that. So one of the, and you've got a question here from Coco. So I wanted to just say, Mason, I think the last time I went to the temple with you, was right after they switched it to the slideshow. And I don't rem I remember just being like, this is really boring. Um, and then I'd never <laughs> been, I'd never been back. Um, oh, thank you so much for putting that comment up yes, there, Coco. If you go, yeah, if you go so to the this next question slide. Is directly, so Julia, this question is directly for you. Yes, so I talk about this here in this slide. So Coco, we'll get right to this. So in 2019, the church unexpectedly made the decision to change the film into a slideshow. Yes. Um, so it is believed that the previous films were directed by a man named Sterling Von Wagenen. And then hit, if you look up on Mormon stories, that shows um, that more in detail on this specific case. And he was arrested in 2019. He was convicted of child sexual abuse and sentenced to six years to life in prison. This could very well be the reason that the church, the film was changed to a slideshow is, I don't know, copyright things or if they just didn't want to be associated with Sterling. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I attribute to that change in 2019. Um, the new slideshow presentation is much shorter. I think, Mason, you said the wording is the same, but I think it's, I don't know if it's because the films, because they talk, they show a long time showing the horse or the bear or whatever, but because it's a slideshow presentation, it's shorter now. Like, I think it's like 20 minutes shorter or something like that. Yeah, he's the one. Yeah, thank you for that, Coco. So Sean Escobar was the one on Mormon Stories. So his is a very, very good story. Like, if you right. watch any of them, his is a really good one to watch. Yeah. So one of the things that we love here at Unpacking Mormonism is we absolutely love to support the other um, Exmo, Post-Mormon, and other podcasts that are out there. There's so much great content. So if you want to be able to find this, um, all you have to do is Google Sean Escobar and Mormon Stories, and it will pull it right up for you. Mm -hmm. And we will also do our best to get that link into our show notes for those of you that are listening later so that you can see this. Um and then James asks, is the temp temple vid still a slideshow now? Yes. I think it is. Yeah. I think yeah, well, it is. A video mm -hmm. was released on YouTube um, just a few months ago. Um, maybe, maybe it might have been October. I can't remember. But I downloaded it really fast because <laughs> I knew it was going to be deleted. And it was. But it's still a slideshow presentation. It's still these same characters. However, they have inserted a lot of images of Christ. So, so I think that's it's still the slideshow. There's just more of Christ, to my knowledge. That, and that might have changed. I think the big change for timing is just that they don't have a witness couple anymore and they don't actually give the token. Oh, that's out. true. And that's a good point. Yeah. So it's, oh. it's not the material in there that is the, the time, big time thing. It's, it's like the, the fact pauses. that you're, 
it's the pauses and the giving out of the tokens and all of that stuff obviously takes time, especially if you have a big session. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So they've taken all that out and, you know, I, you could, you could speculate for, uh, for Wait. a while about as to why that's been done, but that's the case. Yeah. Okay, so are you saying that they took out like the passing of all the tokens as you've According to the information that I have here, and I, I, I can't remember who this uh, is from. I, I think it was from what RFM. I understand, what I thought I understood is that, and I haven't, I didn't watch the full video. I should, um, but I think that they show people on the screen um, giving that, like a instead of having a witness couple of themselves standing in front at the altar showing the signs um, or how to accept them and receive them or whatever. I think they show that on the on the presentation that would make sense yeah. and coco brings up a good point um that it was most likely because of covid um i know that the last time that i went um they were still passing them out that was before covid and so then james asked so no more tokens no james the tokens are still there they're just not delivered um throughout the session in right. the same so, in the same way so in the session it, you know that says we desire all to receive it all arise and then everybody is given that token that's not happening to to my understanding you still would be using those tokens at the veil but you're not getting them during the session itself that's super interesting okay so yeah they're all delivered to the lord at the end and so i guess that's the main part that you would need them you just got to memorize it the way you see it and you don't get to practice yeah which you know you'll well, also really have tough, your so, yeah. you'll also have your you know your your hover person there to make sure that you do it correctly at the at the veil like that was always something that was weird okay, to me really, is really why do we have to get stopped so much at every step in order to do it right so yes so First now it appears that you only get them at the veil that's super interesting yeah it is a huge change yeah absolutely all right keep going well, so yeah well, Alex you want to go no 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 you forget that's how it always happens. <laughs> we just once we change it that's that's We've always the new been at work with <laughs> gray is the new black so let me just read this i can't okay so um the church's response to the next oh yeah so this is the church's actual on their website they they responded to the 2019 changes whenever the lord has had people has had a people on the earth who will obey his word they, they have been commanded to build temples. Scriptures document patterns of temple worship from the times of Adam and Eve, Moses, Solomon, Nephi, and others. It doesn't, but okay. With the restoration of the gospel in these latter days, temple worship has also been restored to bless the lives of people across the world and on the other side of the veil as well. Over these many centuries, details associated with the temple work have been adjusted periodically. So they're sort of acknowledging that the, 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 these changes are happening, including language, methods of construction, communication, and, and record keeping. Prophets have taught that there will be no end to such, uh, to such adjustments as directed by the Lord to his servants, which is super interesting. A dedicated temple is the most holy of all places of worship on the earth. Its, ordinance are, its ordinances are sacred and are not discussed outside a holy temple. So, yes, we're going to change things, and we will always change things. So, I thought that was really interesting. Especially well, since Joseph Smith said it was not changeable. Right. Sorry, go ahead, Mace. Well, it's just that they talk about details, you know, details associated with the temple have been changed. But I mean, I don't know if you remember, I remember also a covenant to avoid all loud laughter, evil speaking of the Lord's anointing, the taking of the Lord, name of the Lord, name of God in vain, and all other unholy and impure practices. Um, that's well, changed, right? Well, that's well, that's well, a covenant, right? That's a covenant. Also, the taking of a covenant too. 
that's not a detail. That's right. a covenant. Yeah. And we're taught in the church that covenants are 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 forever. They're long lasting. Right. And, the doctrine doesn't change. Right. And if you think about it from, you know, when the when the whole interview with Holland on BBC about Mitt Romney and him taking the covenants, well, did he promise to, you know, never talk about these things on pain of death? Well, the answer is yes. Like he's never mm -hmm. gone back through the temple for his own endowments again. Accordingly, his promise was exactly what was made back in 1950 or whenever it was. My promise was in 1996. My parents' promise was before 1990. They took those covenants. So you're talking about something that has changed. You cannot take a covenant that has a penalty, take away the penalties and claim that it's unchanged. That's just right. not, it's not, it's not rational. It's a, to use uh, Bill Reel's word, it's not rational. <laughs> It's, right. it's just, it doesn't make sense to say that that's a detail because it's right. not. Right, exactly. Very good that you pointed that out. Um, so if you right. go to the well, next And hang on, before you do that, I want to pull up this comment from Coco because this was true for me too, Coco. When I went through, I didn't covenant directly with God. I covenanted to my husband and that through God. Um, Damn right. And, right, and not... All, <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah fuck yeah i did mace thank you so much uh only if you're being obedient um no That's wonder true. your family is so mad at me for corrupting you and taking you out of the church you poor unfortunate soul you but yeah this is i mean there was i think only one and coco please remind us if i'm wrong i think there was only one of the covenants that i promised directly to god there is. Um, and the rest it's, it's of them the was, yeah, yeah. And then, and I love this by That's James the, says every generation the, since Joseph Smith has made a different covenant. So I mean, you know, when God calls us all back by our very limited new names, how is He going to be able to keep up with which person made which covenant? Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know what? Ultimately. I don't think that's as important as the fact that you're not talking about it. You're not explaining it. You're like, you know what? This was a different generation. They had different priorities. God didn't, you know, you know, whatever the, the half-assed explanation would be. They're not even trying to make the explanation. They're not talking about it. Like, well, I, I don't care that covenants have changed. In, in reality, what you're promising now seems better to me than what you were promising 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. However, if you're going to ignore that that happened 50 years ago, like the only way you ever learn about these things, you asked me right at the beginning, Sarah, did I know about these things? No, the only way you learn about these things is by listening to the sources that you're told you're not supposed to listen to. Yeah, right. But they're telling the truth. Well, yeah. and in the beginning, when I talked about my experience in 2004, and it really bothered me, you know, my, my grandma wrote me this big long letter and was like, you know, you don't need to worry about those things. Um, it, it's just something, just let it go. It's not, it's not a major change. The promises and the ordinances haven't changed. Just the punishments have changed and that's no longer true either. Now the promises and the covenants have changed, but also this is one of those areas where the older generation tends to say that they changed it because us newer generation cannot handle it. And for me, I think it's more that the younger generation is you more used to speaking up for things that are not okay. 
And so when they put that pressure on, hey, it's not okay to say that it's okay for me to die if I tell you what my new name is or if I, you know, show you a secret handshake from the Mormon slash Mason temple ceremony. But we do have that history of, you know, the Masons being murdered for sharing those things. And and there's even some theories out there that one of the reasons Joseph Smith was um, murdered was because he had revealed the Mason signs. I mean, there's lots of theories. There's lots of things that go into that, but that, um, that is, that is one of the things, you know, that people were upset with them about the sexual predatory behaviors and for revealing the Masonic signs, tokens, and symbols. So well, and he's also like a crazy, strong political uh, powerhouse and had no one to stop him. And he had an army and was trying to run for president. So and the, he that. had the largest military unit in the United States. Yeah. So yeah, that right? was a it's complete, completely off subject, but just real quick, um, Bill O'Reilly wrote a series of books like called Killing Lincoln or Killing Christ or whatever. <clears throat> I read the one that he's, it was about killing Kennedy. And in that he talks about, you know, we don't know who actually did it, but he shows that there were like actually five or six different groups of people that had an interest in possibly killing Kennedy. So it's interesting that you bring that up about Joseph Smith. There was not just one group of people. There were several different groups of people that might have had an interest or did have an interest in killing him. Ultimately, he got killed. Right. <laughs> right. And But that's not something that you actually hear about as a, a faithful member. Right. No, 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 no. He, he was completely innocent. Friends. Yeah. They were just enemies of the church. And that's all you need to know. Yep. Yeah. James, I feel the same way about not understanding what you're doing. And the cupping shape didn't make any sense to me until until way later. I, um, I yeah, so right, James, I do like, you have a slide for for this one and what those shapes mean now? Um, I, I talk about them later when we talk about the penalties. I don't show the signs. I don't show the, the handshakes or anything like that, but, but we will talk about that later. So I don't know if we want to talk about it now. Oh, I can no, tell you. So I just, no, 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 Mason. Well, let's, let's wait until it comes up in the slideshow. Okay. So James, yeah, we're going to come back because I think, so James says, you know, this is one topic that makes me so angry because of how many hours I spent in the temple trying to understand the signs and tokens, never really under stood the cupping shape and really this is the issue with not talking about the changes is that now you're making all these covenants and whatnot but because the church has removed certain pieces it no longer makes sense this is like you know trying to teach somebody calculus before they understand algebra pieces of it might be like okay i can see the connection from here to here but i can't really solve the problem because the piece that i need to solve it um isn't there i think it's the it's the same thing um that happens oh shoot i just totally lost my train of thought so i'm just gonna skip that when it comes back i'll say that um and and that's the other thing yeah amy i love her comment of because i didn't really understand it i wouldn't be able to explain it to anybody else and i think amy the other thing is because you don't understand it you're afraid if, if people are asking you questions well why do you do that um it, you, you, you're like, well, yeah, I don't really know. And then that's when people that aren't there are going to uh, give that to you. There's also a comment here. Do you guys have the ceiling stuff in your slideshow, Julia? Oh, about the, about sealing each other to our spouses? Yeah. Do you, do you cover no, think, the ceiling at all um, in this slideshow? No, okay. So we then can talk about that at any point. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to pull up this comment here by Coco who says, why 
hasn't, um, let's see, what hasn't changed is that there has never been a marriage ordinance. And so why can't the LGBTQ get married? The church could say they won't seal them. And I love this comment because my dad's thing, like when we were doing Prop 8 and stuff, I remember my dad saying things um, like, well, if the LGBT can get married, then that, you know, is an infringement on our religious beliefs. And I was like, no, it's really not because you can just say, you know, if you want to get married legally by the laws of the land where it's going to end when you die anyway, fine, but we can reserve our right to religious practice and not, they just cannot be sealed in the temple, which would fall under your freedom of religion act. Um, and so that was always really interesting to me. And that grew when Mason and I, uh, when Mason was serving in El Paso, Texas in the military, um, those who were getting married in Mexico, there were certain laws that were different. And so you would get married civilly and then go to the temple. And I think that's the case for many European countries as well, that their countries do not recognize the marriage inside the temple is legally binding. So they would get married civilly and then go to the temple. So as long as you were, you know, able to answer all of the uh, temple recommend questions appropriately um, at the time of your wedding, you did not have to wait the year. Um, Coco wants to app, wants to point out that just to be clear, they are completely for that people can get married to whoever they want, no matter what. Um, I would just add to that. Yeah, absolutely. With consent. Um, but one of the things that I think we touched on briefly, Mason, in a previous show that people don't understand about the sealing ceremony is Mason and I are adoptive parents. And so our adopted kids would get sealed to us after the adoption was finalized. And what we learned is that the siblings of the adopted child so like our oldest was sealed to us when he was six months old so then our second one was sealed to us when he was like eight months old so on and so forth and one of the things that was really interesting is that as they were sealed to us all of our other children could come into the temple and be present to observe and view that sealing ceremony so like when our youngest got sealed to us um, at the time he was our seventh child so we had Mason and I, our parents, you know, siblings who'd wanted to come, some friends who'd wanted to come, and six of his siblings. So my oldest at that time, Mace, how old would Eric have been, like 15, 16, when our youngest, Tyler, was sealed to us. So all of these little kids could come into the sealing room to watch their other adopted sibling get sealed to us. But when Mason and I got married our siblings were not allowed inside the sealing room to watch the marriage ceremony mm -hmm. or the sealing, even surprised. though there's no secrets, but That's... what they say is basically the same. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that before. Cause like I, I witnessed my siblings become the adopted and sealed to, excuse me, sealed to us. But my older siblings, I couldn't go to the temple for them because I wasn't endowed yet. So that is really interesting that that's, that that's a thing. Um, but talking about um, with Coco, um, talking about, oh, what were we talking about here? Um, Coco was talking about uh, people like the LGBT, people oh, getting yes, married. Yeah, so at the, uh, earlier at the temple, um, they would just say they had to be married legally and then you can get married in the temple. And then they changed the wording to reflect against, to be more, um, how do I say that? against the homosexual marriages where it says you can only be married under God's law. And so they're trying to add that in there where it's like 
oh, it's, it doesn't matter if you're married legally, whereas like she and I can't get married legally, but but it's not God's law, so you can't get sealed in the temple. So, mm -hmm. okay. so they're so, making it more. So just, you know, the question there from Coco, for me, I just have to ask the question, well, who benefits? And we talked about this in a previous episode. So wait, wait Mason, read Coco's question for so those Coco's who question are not. Is, so why can't a sibling watch a marriage? You have to do mental gymnastics to make it make sense. And, and I agree. For me, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I just have to ask the question, well, who benefits by keeping the siblings out? And it's well, just... And... Sorry, continue. <laughs> See, I'm um, not the only one who does it. <laughs> it's just, for me, it's just the church. The church is the only one that benefits because they make it exclusive. Like that your whole right. life is focused on getting to the temple. And so if then you make it Oh, well, your older brother's getting married. Well, we'll let you in so you can watch it. You take some of the specialness out of it. You take the exclusivity out of it. And mm -hmm. now the church doesn't control everything about it. It's not as it's not as special. It's not as I, I I'll just keep using the same words over and over again. So anyway, they the <laughs> church is the one that benefits well, from that because families don't benefit. Families would right. be better off if they could be a part of it. If they exactly. can even enter the temple and go, wow, this is beautiful. This is special. I love being here. It might actually help them want to get there later on, but it takes some of the specialness out. Well, and if you think about it in a marriage, you're just for my siblings to come and watch Mason and I get married. Really, all they're watching is Mason get sealed to me as an extension of their now sibling group. Like if you look at the doctrine of the sealing, when you get married in the temple and you're sealed... Mason is now the brother to all of my siblings, and I'm now the sister to all of Mason's siblings. And yeah. so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I love that you had uh, had to um, say that there's there's mental gymnastics. So, and I'll answer this question from my experience, Coco, and then I'll Julia. I'd love for you to speak to this. So, for us with the adopted kiddos, they just observed they sat in the front row of chairs around the altar and the only one that held the hand for adopted siblings was the new child being sealed so they did not have to be in the circle they did not have to have their hands on the altar as far as julia's experience because like, i think it's different if you've got more than one being sealed at the same time so julia yeah uh, with me um yeah i had a, i have five stepsisters but four of them were adopted in so we just watched because we were born in the covenant so we didn't need to be we didn't need to do any hand holding at the altar but it was interesting for me because seeing the robes was really um, weird. At a young age. At a very young you age. You mean yeah, nobody we... told you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, So, but, but everyone else was uh, around the altar. The ones that participating in the ordinance themselves, they were my sisters were sitting at the altar, and they did the, the hand holding. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, the, well, and the child that's being sealed just has to be in all white. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who has to be in all white. So then you're like a spectacle in front of everybody while you're getting sealed and whatever. But right. so one of the things so I wanted to point out is how the church tells you that what they're what they're offering to you is an eternal family where you all get to be together forever. What they're really doing is making it so that you have to jump through all these hoops in order to be together forever. Most other Christian churches just teach like, oh, yeah, you'll be together in heaven. That That's that's just a given. But um, with the church, they're actually like they're putting a barrier between you and they're your, almost founded on the idea that families are not together, not forever. together forever. And only by jumping through our hoops can you be exactly. so. 
right again who does that benefit it benefits the person that controls the ordinances right if i have your salvation in my hand then i own you yeah. if, right. if you believe that i have that control i own you yeah well and i love coco's comment here just observing gives even more reason why siblings should be able to watch a marriage and a ceiling and i agree like yeah, I why are we excluding families when it comes to a temple wedding and then you know coming back to because yeah so yeah and shannon says wow like oh my goodness yeah shannon so when mason and i got married none of mason's siblings and none of my siblings were in there with us because mason and i are both the oldest, which is why we're both so damn bossy. Um, and so, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Why can't my entire family be there? But then when we go back to the LGBTQ weddings and, and whatnot, it still doesn't make, it still doesn't make sense. Um, you know, never, ever, ever, no part of the Mormon doctrine has anything that would allow the LGBTQ population to enjoy a ceiling with somebody of the same sex um, and and whatnot, but it still doesn't make sense why they then have to go out of their way to make it to make it not happen. Um, so and then I know that Alex is working right now on getting the picture of my family up on the screen because I think that that kind of just drives it drives at home like when you see all of us there and it's going to take him a little bit because you have to like make it a pdf um whatever and then yeah so coco puts up my parents weren't um there it was ward day for my husband and surprise she was dressed like every other woman in the room at her own wedding yes my mom coco spent like hours so my mom is a professional seamstress and she spent hours sewing my dress every detail gluing on every bead it was absolutely gorgeous and then i covered it all up um inside the temple you didn't so, even wear it in the temple you didn't wear no, it in the I temple did. she made you a different one uh -uh, to wear nope. in the temple no she did not i wore mine oh, and you kept okay. stepping on my train and the beads kept coming off and my mom told you that she was going to kill you if you didn't knock it off right in the temple. My mom threatened murder of my husband if he kept stepping. It's not on the first time murder train. has been threatened in the temple. Okay, well let's <laughs> let's I'll get there. Gonna, yeah, let's go ahead and move forward. And when Alex gets that picture of my family up, I'll go ahead and interrupt you just so that because I think a picture is worth a thousand words. Like when you see the picture of the size of my family, and then you're like, holy cow, everybody in that. Oh, here it is. There Aww. is my beautiful family. Thank you. And shout out to Lara, Lara Althusias Photography um, in the St. Robert, Missouri area. She did a phenomenal job. So our youngest is the um, little boy um, standing between the two girls in the front. His name is Tyler. He is our youngest baby. And when he was sealed to us, um, all of the older kids except for one. So the uh, young man in the back with the long hair just joined our family um, about a year ago. Um, so, but everybody else, when he was sealed in the temple to us, we were sealed in the Dallas, Texas temple. He was three and a half when he was sealed to us. We took custody of him uh, when he, right before he turned three. So his adoption was finalized about six months later. So he was three and a half when he got sealed to us. And um, we actually had to get, and I was not, I was instructed by the church never to reveal this. 
So here comes another secret that is coming out here. Um, my uh, The little white boy standing next to me uh, that has the shorter haircut, his name is Landon, and he turned eight um, the day that... Tyler got sealed to us. So his baptism, the way Mason and I were in the middle of moving, it was this big deal. And because he was already eight, he was not allowed in the temple unless he was baptized. So the rule is for siblings to watch a temple sealing, the sibling, if they're younger than eight, they're just allowed in. If they're older than eight, they have to be baptized and go through a um, altered temple recommend interview with the bishop in order to be put on so that the bishop says, hey, you can come. And we had to get special permission from the first presidency, from the prophet, because the way that our schedule, it was a general conference Sunday. And so we could not get Landon baptized oh. in time for Tyler's ceiling because the temple was going to be closed the day that Landon turned or Landon's baptism baptism was so he was eight and the prophet had to give Landon special permission to attend his brother's baptism because he was not eight years old at the time of the sealing and it literally y'all um Tyler was sealed to us and then we drove back to Colleen and Landon got baptized. So it was literally like, we're talking about six hours after, um, or maybe it was the next day. Mason, do you remember if it was, it the, was next, the next day? It was the next day. The, okay. The problem, so, was, the problem was that Landon was eight when he went through the temple, but was not baptized because right. of the schedule. We were in the middle of the move and we had family coming in. We just couldn't work the schedule to do it reversed. So we knew that in advance. That's why we got the letter right, and, and they let it go that way. And the reason that we couldn't get Landon baptized first was because, or the, we couldn't do Landon first was because it was the Saturday. It was general conference Saturday. That's what it was. It was general mm -hmm. conference Saturday. And so the temple was closed. Um, hey, Coca, I'm sorry that you lived in Colleen. It's disgusting there. Um, it was our least favorite duty station. So yeah, that's what it was. So what happened is Tyler got sealed to us on a Friday because the temple was closed on Saturday for general conference. And then Landon got baptized Saturday in between yeah. conference sessions. And then yeah. after he was baptized, we literally threw him in our car and drove to Missouri and moved. So um, yeah. Fort Hood, two babies there. Yes, I, uh, Coco, I lost my uterus on purpose at Fort Hood. That's the only thing good that came from Fort Hood. Well, All and, right. and just a, a quick aside there too, like, the church that told us don't tell anybody that this happened. Like if you can make exceptions, isn't that one of the joys of having a true prophet, real leadership? Like, Oh, you know what? This is a completely different situation that can't be covered in normal rules. Let's do that. That sounds great. God's okay with that. Why wouldn't you advertise that and say, Hey, look, this is the standard, but just know that if there's something weird about your situation, Talk to the prophet. He can hook you up. Like, it right. seems like that would be a good thing. But no, it's all about secrecy. Yep. Well, and the interesting thing is Mason was the bishop at the time. So, like, the kids and I moved to Missouri. Mason stayed back because of Army stupidity and stuff. 
Um, so Mason was the bishop and, and he couldn't do it. And we went to the stake president and the stake president couldn't do it. The temple president couldn't do it. It like, it was, oh, for this issue, we have to jump, jump all the way up to the prophet. And so we had this letter signed by the prophet. And then at the temple, they took the letter away from us and destroyed it. We wow. were not allowed to keep it. I think oh. I have a picture of it somewhere, though, because I'm a sinner. Anyway, all right. Yeah, you are. So You're let's get sure. back to um, the slideshow. Go ahead, Julia and America. Okay, so yeah, just just going back. So the church is saying that the things that will be adjusted periodically, and then he says there will be no end to such adjustments as directed by the Lord and His servants. And then Alex, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, so problems with this response. I should have deleted number five, but. So Adam and Eve were never commanded to build a temple. I don't, I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says that, and I think Bible scholars will agree with that. Um, the Jewish, the Jewish priests never performed any rituals like the LDS endowment ceremony, um, and marriages were never done in, the, in their temple. So, again, I don't know why the church is connecting the two. Well, I know why, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make no, biblical sense, right? And there's no command in the New Testament for the Christians to build temples. I, again, I don't know where that would be. Um, and no evidence exists for baptisms for the dead or marriage ceremonies for the dead in the New Testament um, or during that during its time. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah. So it's just a lot of problems with their statement. So, yeah. yeah. OK, so in 2013, the church. So this is this happened while I was on my mission. So before and we'll talk about that. There was one film. And then in 2013, the church released these three new films and that they kind of played. They kind of rotated them through in each temple. And uh, so that was really nice. It was like a, it was like a, everyone was, was really refreshing. excited about it. It was refreshing. Yeah. Um, so in the interest of full disclosure, there were two videos before. Uh -uh. Oh, there was two? Yes. I oh, yeah, there were two. The I heard that there so, was one with Blonde Eve. And one, one had, what's his face in it? The, the Satan guy that this, the singer. Was, the I'm, singer. Yeah, the, is, on Rigoletto. Is, I can't remember his name. Yeah, his name is escaping me right now. But the other video had a guy in it that played Satan was one of the guys, one of the dancers. If you go to the next the slide, it looks like I think it shows him. Um, Wait, yeah, that so guy? that's Balam, Michael Balam, that's his name. Okay, yeah. But the other video had the guy that played Satan in it. It was actually in the movie Girls Just Want to Have Fun with Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I'd always heard that that film existed, but I never saw it. In, and I was, and I feel like I went through yeah. a lot of temples, but I never saw that one. But this one so was yeah, more popular. Um, the other one played occasionally. I don't know what the difference was, but there were two That's videos. That's super interesting. Okay, so yeah, the three new films were, uh, like we said earlier, were filmed uh, by Sterling Von Wagenen. And uh, even though he was a known, um, I don't know if I can say this online, but he was a known pedophile and the church let it happen anyway. Well, and somebody, I think it might have been Coco, was saying that it, he was apparently sleeping with men and women during the time of making the videos which is so the spirit i didn't realize he had made all three he did all three of them I, to my knowledge i think he did all three huh yeah okay wow. yeah that's super interesting yeah so that, yeah so that. sean did an audio with svw so this is van Wagonin, admitting that while he was producing the films, he was having affairs with men and women, which yeah. again, you know, consensually or not, Your but business, it's, but also the church would not approve of that. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, we so can't then, have your product. Yeah. 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 All righty. Okay, so keep going. Yep, um, keep going. 
Yeah, so we talked about this one before that there, you said there was two films. I was only aware of the one, but that's really interesting. So they had these two and I think that they were filmed in the eighties and nineties. I'm not exactly sure when they were filmed, but I think it was, I think they were pretty dated. So the 2013 was really refreshing. Yes, um, and the rumor, and I'm going to say this, it was just the rumor. I think, so the blonde Eve, one of the actors in there also had some sort of love chastity stuff. And so it was kind of like it would come and go off and on. And so, yeah, we saw the brunette oh, Eve there was the another... most. I wonder um, but I saw the blonde the... Eve. Okay, I was going to say, I wonder if these were filmed in the 90s because in the other, or sometime, I know that the people that they say the preacher was played by was a BYU professor and he also had um, problems. And so I think he might've um, been arrested as well for similar charges as Sterling Ron Wagman. But. Yeah. And I love, I love this comment. Yep. Oh, go ahead, Mason. You do it. No, Coco says, where was the discernment from the leaders? Very yeah. good question. Exactly what came to mind for me. Uh, and also just, they've made it an issue because the leadership talks about discernment. They cannot have these kind of things going because otherwise you could be like, you know what? That sucks. But you know what? He gave he made a good product. We're just going to go with that, yeah. <laughs> right? You you can't have that because it undermines the law the the discernment. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. I mean, that's a good that's that's a great statement, Mason. Like, yeah, there's people. I mean, should we pull that '70s show from production forever? I mean, a lot of money was put in there just because what's his face was found guilty. I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of you know opinions about that but the the temple video didn't have any you know quote-unquote issues in it so why do we have to right. pull it because one of the people on the production team sinned i mean if if you were if hollywood worked that way hollywood would be broke i mean they're already <laughs> broke but <laughs> yeah so all right okay so if we go to the next slide Okay, so this is one thing that I found was really interesting. So during, I should have edited the slide a little bit better. But during the early 1800s, there were only four cast members for the live production. There was Elohim, Jehovah, Michael, and then they called him the serpent. That's what Heber C. Kimball says in his journal. And so one thing that is, is also interesting is that you'll notice that there's no Adam and Eve. So each of the temple patrons, male or female, the males would play Adam and the females or the women would play Eve. And so they would act like Eve and they would partake of the fruit. They usually had... And I'll talk about this too. They would they would take the fruit. And they would they would accept it, and then they would have this conversation with um, same. Um, and then Peter, James, and John were added later. I think they were added still early on, but it was still later. And then I, Heber C. Kimball seems to say that they were added for convenience because I wonder if there was a lot of running around, and so it was just easier to have these three messengers come in and play this part. So, so so yeah. So Peter, James, and John were later, and Adam and Eve were played by the members coming in the to patrons. get their yeah the patrons yeah. That makes so much more sense. And then <laughs> and then you have the, I mean, that makes so much more sense with now, you know, what the witness couple was actually right, right. for. Got it. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so if you go to the next slide. Um, so yeah, okay, we're hang gonna, on, hang on. Since you're going to ceremonial clothing, one of the things, and I don't know if you have this in here later, um, one of the things that really stood out to me in the endowment session is that when Peter, James, and John come down and give Adam um the token which is the handshake thingy that i'll let you talk about later they were able to touch them right oh i i i like we've got you know here's somebody who's given us a squirrel moment you know alex um 
my dogs are goth gives us the rainbow thing. I just thought that was really funny. Um, so I've got to see what goth dogs are here. Uh, that would be awesome. So, squirrel. Um, so anyway, I remember going through when you read like from the there's my squirrel uh, doctrine and covenants, the way you tell a true messenger from the Lord or a non-true messenger from the Lord is whether or not you can touch them. And if they have already lived on the earth and are a resurrected being, um, then you can physically touch them. And Peter, James, and John are coming down to the man, Adam, and the woman, Eve, whatever, to say that he's a true messenger from God, but they have not yet lived on the earth, which means they have not yet had a body, lived, died, and gotten resurrected. And yet in the temple, they can touch each other and feel it. And so I remember sitting in the temple the first time watching that video. And when they do their little, you know, sharing of the tokens so that Adam knows that they are true messengers, I was like, no, they're not. According to Joseph Smith, they're the fake messengers because they extended their hand and you're not supposed to feel it because they've not yet lived on the earth. Yeah, Joseph he really treated himself. So whenever, because I knew about that um, part of Joseph Smith's teachings. So whenever I went to the temple, I just thought, oh, because he's touching him, this is all symbolic. This this is not, has no reflection reflection in actual history. And you you don't read those stories in Genesis. You don't read Peter, James, and John, or that I can recall, or even in the Pearl of Great Price. And so I remember bringing this up to one of the senior missionaries in the visitor center that I worked in. And I was like, oh, it's all just symbolic. Peter, James, and John weren't actually there. And he was like, yes, they were. They were literally in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> So I thought that was that's a really funny thing. Well, Wait, no, they weren't was, supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. They were, weren't they? After Adam and Eve got passed out. I mean, after, out? I mean yeah, they when were. they were passed out. You're right. You're right. But yeah. no, but none of it can be because they're like, oh, money, and you're like, why is there money if you're the first ever? And they're like talking about, oh, there's other humans that could. They're supposed to be the first humans. No, all of this has to be symbolic. It doesn't make any sense if you're trying to say it is as real. Right. It's also out of order from all. So the endowment video is completely out of order from what's portrayed in the Bible and in Moses in the Pearl of Great Price, which is coming from Joseph Smith. So what the hell happened there too? So all right. oh. now another, that another random thing is that Joseph Smith also taught that if an angel comes to you and they're blonde, they're also of the devil. So, so yeah. Yeah. I, oh my what? If they have he said if they have sandy colored hair, then they're not of God. So okay. Well Julia, it's good to know that you're a very devilish woman. Lucky you, America. Just saying. Uh, wow, the anti-Aryan. Okay, yeah. so I think I just have one slide for this one. So, Alex, if you want to go over, I just wanted to show what this kind of was. So, during the endowment ceremony, temple patrons are required to wear these separate articles of clothing. So, there's the robe, and and somebody mentioned earlier that it, it used to be on the. You used to switch it from the left. Oh, hang on, I'm getting it backwards. You used to switch it from the left shoulder to the right, and now you just leave it onto the right, which I thought was a really nice change because I always got stressed about what order things go in. Mm -hmm. um, and then and they're taking all the layers off right. and putting them all back on. And now they don't. Right, in, in like a minute and a half, and then, you know, your sash falls to the floor, and then it's touched the floor, and it's not supposed to touch the floor. I don't know what's the matter with you guys. Like, I never had any of Nowhere to problems. put anything. <laughs> like, where are you supposed to put your apron while you're taking off the... Yeah. You're yes, just like and holding it awkwardly with your hands while you're like... Yeah, and and whoever posted this obviously hadn't been in a while because their bow was on the wrong side, which Coco points out. So the bow <laughs> is supposed to be on the yes, opposite is. hip of the shoulder 
that the oh, robe is hanging yeah, off of. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not going to heaven anyway because they posted this on the internet. So details, I know. Do you remember? Details. Do you remember those missionaries that got excommunicated for showing off their garments? Yep. They're not going to heaven oh. either. Poor guys. Okay, so yeah, there was the the robe, the baker's hat, or the veil for women, and there was this green apron, and there was this sash and the slippers. And the green apron has, it's a very Masonic, the Masons had an apron as well, and they, I, and with Masonry, they got to like put, I think their own renditions of whatever was on the apron, like whatever was symbolic to them. And Joseph took that and he made it so there was like nine, nine leaves. Specifically nine leaves. Mm -hmm. And there's was it green so in, in the beginning they used to deck like sew their own like the women would sew their own they get really intricate and they'd be really beautiful and then they had to put a stop to that because then they were yeah. it was getting too fancy yeah um yeah i don't know this picture is just blind pull off the web so he might have just been trying to make a tie make it seem like he was wearing a tie but i, I don't know what's wrong yeah so so this this dude all the ceremonial clothing is there but he doesn't have it on right. So yeah, since like he doesn't have it on right, his <laughs> ordinances don't count. Or maybe it's symbolic about how he's being choked. By maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to put this up here just so that we can um, talk about it because it's super interesting to me. Um, yeah. So you can go to the next slide. Okay. So the, and you can go to the next one. Um. So yeah, the, I just want to talk about really briefly what this is um, in case people don't know. So the, the film compass is like three different parts. It talks about the creation where Elohim instructs Jehovah and Michael to go through the six creative periods. And I don't know that they're, like you mentioned, I think they're kind of out of order from the Bible about which- Just, just one just one piece. Oh, just one piece. <clears throat> the, okay. the temple order actually makes more sense. Like if you look at the Bible, it says that God uh, planted the earth with- um, with everything and then he put the sun and the moon in the sky whereas in the temple the sun and the moon come first on day three and then he plants all the vegetation on day four it makes more sense but it is interesting like sarah said that you can have joseph smith giving you new revelation that is supposedly fixing the bible and the book of moses but then when the temple ceremony comes around yeah whatever we'll just make our own order wait one thing that i thought i think this is still part of the temple um I think that the day one is they separate the waters from this the land, and then I think day two is when they when there's light. So I always thought it was funny that they separate those in the dark. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Well, um, no, day day one is that they create the earth. Day two is that they separate the firmament from the. So they basically separate. They create the atmosphere basically on day two. Day three, they put the sun and the moon in the sky. Okay. So yeah. So they do. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. Whereas okay, so in Genesis, actually, it says in the beginning, there was nothing and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So yeah, it's that's a little, bit, little bit different situation. And scholars like um, Dan McClellan point out that, that in Genesis, there are, it's two creation stories that are that are pressed next to each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, so another part a, of it. One's a spiritual and one's an actual creation. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, another part of it is the birth of Adam and Eve. So Lucifer appears in the garden and tempts them to partake of the fruit. They do and they are cast out. And then Adam and Eve are with Lucifer in the lone and dreary world. And then that's when Peter, James, and John appear. And they give them further instructions, including these signs and tokens. And then in the past, they gave them also the penalties. So I just wanted to run through what that was really fast. So yeah, we can yeah. go to the next one. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> I don't know why this is my favorite, but they used to they used to bring in pots of like planted pots and in boxes and things like that to make it sort of feel like you're in a temple or in a garden. And um, so what they do is they take an evergreen tree and they would tie... Um, fruit to it like oranges apples grapes and raisins and things like that just one they would just pick one 
um, when Annalisa went through, she says that they pulled raisins off of it and then ate them. Um, so they had to have a lot in there because some of the sessions were as large as 200 people. Um, so that'd be a lot of work to get that all set up. But I just think that's funny is that, is that, uh, because so they were acting as Adam and Eve. So they're wandering around the room, um, literally picking off fruits and literally being scared by the devil and uh, and hiding from God, literally behind chairs. Yeah, we have pictures things. of these too. So, so yeah, <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Go... Are the pictures in here? Because, yeah. Ah, yeah, I so you go see the next it. slide, Alex. Yeah, so this is one thing that I thought was really interesting. Um, the character of Lucifer, who came out to tempt Eve, he was always a, he was, he sounds to me like he was always a white man dressed in black clothes. And in her story, she says he had a black mask on. And so right here, this is the artist's rendition. I don't think this is analyzes. I don't know if this is what actually happened. She describes him as uh, dressing like the man of Mephistopheles, who is like, if you just look, Google him, you'll see his his great costume. Um, but I just thought that was interesting is that they keep, they kind of make Satan a black person, which is again, also really mean. And I'm glad that they have changed that. So, and we've showed yep. pictures of their Satan. Um, yeah, yeah, I've so, actually seen Mormonism do that many times that they've um, made Lucifer a black man um, and everybody else is white. It's disgusting. Well, and you'll see that with the, like the book of Abraham, Joseph says that this is uh, a servant, whereas it's actually the God, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Um, one of the gods in the Egyptian, I can't remember his name, yep. but it's just funny that he so, makes him a servant. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to pause you real quick. I just got a text message. That's why I'm looking in my lap. Um, my three o'clock appointment um, just canceled. So we can go ahead and okay. make sure that we finish your thing because I no longer have to be gone at three. Um, Alex, please let me know what your timeline is if you need to end early and whatnot. And if I need to take over, uh, send me that in the private chat and go. Okay. So that's pretty much all on this slide. And you can just read more. This is just from Analyze's book. So you can go to the next one. Um, so do you want to read this? I don't know if it's sure. Yeah. So Analyza gives a fun recitation of her experience in the temple. She says, after the aprons were on, or after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and discovered their nakedness, the voice of Elohim was heard calling Adam, but he was afraid and hid himself with Eve. So all the rest of us were supposed to follow their example. And there was a most undignified scurrying behind sofas, chairs, and any other article of furniture that was convenient. It was like nothing so much as the old game of hide and seek. And it was a rare piece of fun to see men and women scudding in every direction about the room. Was it scudding or scuttling? Okay. It was like a good old fashioned <laughs> frolic to me. And I actually laughed aloud much to my discomfiture and Ki Heber Kimball's horror who reproved me afterwards and told me I was very wrong. For he said, uh, these things are sacred and make me feel as solemn as the grave. And I can scarce refrain from shedding <laughs> tears every time I see them. So she got in trouble for laughing at the silliness of, of playing hide and seek with God. Right. This is hilarious to me in the sense I of, okay, so, you know, again, look at how many kids I have, right? Now imagine them playing hide and go seek in silence. It's not going to happen, oh, y'all. No, no, yeah, there would be, yeah, completely silent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you go to the next slide, she actually. Oh, I just, I think Shakespeare would be impressed. Like, like oh, yeah. I get like much ado about nothing kind of a thing, you know, or the Midsummer Night's Dream, we're just, you know, frolicking in the woods. <laughs> yeah, so this is the uh, one of the artist renditions in her book of Wife Number 19 is they're all, they're all running around and they're hiding behind chairs and things. So, like, I totally get why she laughed out loud and why Heber Kimball. I don't know why he would cry over this. But, so I guess he was feeling this. Because she's a woman. Oh, but Heber oh. Kimball was the one who cried. 
He says, I'm the one that feels you need to, you need to not laugh because this is really sacred. Well, uh, she just covenanted to not laugh loudly. So maybe that's where the no loud laughter comes <laughs> from. That actually would make sense. Like we promise to not have loud laughter to make sure that when you're, you know, running around the temple playing hide and go see, I mean, Y'all, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I've got another fire whiskey joke or cinnamon whiskey joke. I keep saying fire whiskey because of, of um, fireball. <laughs> but, I mean, it used to be so much more fun. I would not have been bored. Right. During this that sounds one. like an adventure. <laughs> yeah, this sounds, just... this sounds like, you know, I don't know, Mason. This sounds like some fun date night foreplay stuff that later we go home and you know finish up I, i'm serious like this is... with a group of Which other people we got to bathe together alex I mean... if you go to the next slide yeah like communal another... bathing you know cinnamon whiskey hide and go seek the what i mean what happened why we need to go back to the joseph smith's temple stuff <laughs> that sounds way more fun All right, well, like, and as far as i'm not sure um, I think this was actually Brigham Young, um, and we have this theory. I, there's somebody goes into it deeper than we do. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> Sorry, but, this um, is funny. the theory is that um, Brigham Young got to play in the the you know the Pizarro play, and he was like a some big character. And after that, he was in love with plays. He actually built a, a theater in Salt Lake City, even though at the time theater was like really uh, taboo. Um, because like oh it's only like the whorish people are on stage right but he loved it and so he loved plays and so then he put himself in this play and got to be god um every time they did a temple endowment um and we so, do yeah. know we do know that joseph sorry there's a car we do know that joseph after the after taking brigham through the endowment ceremony and the washington anointing he was like brigham this is this is like a rough version of this so I need you to like take it and kind of make it better. And so that's why I think it maybe wasn't Joseph who did the Adam and Eve story, but it was Brigham because it just, it just sort of fits. It just makes, makes more sense. Cause it's, cause Brigham Young was this kind of interesting character. I don't know if you guys know anything about Brigham Young to analyze young talks a lot about him and gives him a, gives you a kind of a different view of his character. And he was very haughty and very, um, liked attention and, and and strutting around in his nice outfits, but also demeaning other people and making sure that nobody else felt good about themselves. So yeah. anyway, so are you trying very... to say that he was a narcissist? Are no! you trying to say yes. that? Yes. Um, so if you look at, at my name, I have that LPC. I'm not allowed to diagnose people that are not inside my clinic, <laughs> but I can say that based on what I know about him, I highly suspect that he was narcissistic. Actually, both of them and also current prophet, uh, I would say that. So thank you so much, Thad, for saying that we are fascinating. Um, I, yeah, I agree with you. This is super fascinating. And also, I absolutely love recording with you ladies because we have so much <laughs> Yeah, this is fun. So much. We we struggle with the loud laughter oh, for sure. Well, after, after this dinner at our place, if you want to come over, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so this is just another image, and then you've got you see Satan. He's walking with. I don't know if this is supposed to be Analyza because Analyza or not Analyza. I keep saying that. Uh, Eliza Arsenal because she played Eve mm -hmm. um, at, like, at points. Yeah. Um, so I think they had a main Adam and Eve, and then everyone scurried about with them. But anyway, so this is just another picture, and if you go to the next slide, Alex. Oh, there was another, uh, maybe, maybe, oh, this is where it's coming from. Okay. 
you want to read this one? Yeah. So the devil was then cursed and he fell upon his hands and knees and wriggled and hissed in a snake-like manner as possible. We were all brought out from our several hiding places. The curse was pronounced upon us, which doomed us to leave the beautiful garden and earn our bread by the sweat of our brows. We were then driven into another room, which was called the world. And then we had taken our first degree. Mason, when, when they say that Satan was cursed, I just see, and, and I love my children so much, um, but I, I see Tyler and Abby, my youngest, who not getting their way and throwing themselves to the ground and wriggling around in a snake-like manner as they they cry. And I can honestly say that definitely feels like a curse sometimes as a mama. So that's hilarious. That is really, yeah, it's really funny. Um, and then I think if you go to the next slide, I think there is a picture. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, I think this would be really hard to hold face watching this man uh, wriggle around and hiss like a snake. But yeah. Yeah. And and Coco says that history of theater still goes on today mm -hmm. yeah. um, in a couple of the temples. Yeah. Well, and even, at the Shakespeare festivals. Well, I was going to say, even with the the pageants, like the Nauvoo pageants, the Hilkamora pageants, the, the plays and things like that seem to be still a part, a big part of, of Mormonism. I don't know if they still do that now because of COVID. And, and I think a lot of those productions, productions have stopped, but, but still for a long time they were. So. Right. Well, and when I was in the, I think I watched the live one either in Salt Lake or St. George. I know Mason, you and I we did, but together. I think I also went to the St. George. Yeah, we had done that. And there was no wriggling on the floor of Satan when we went. Although what? I do agree <laughs> with you, Coco, that, um, my theory does make sense. How can you not laugh? So Coco says, I'm thinking there's something to the loud laughter theory being introduced at this point, because how do you not laugh? I mean, I don't care how old you are watching full grown adults fall to the floor and wriggle around as a special religious ritual and rite of passage is freaking hilarious. Yeah. So that's awesome. All right. Um, just really quick as a side note, Coco was mentioning Tuacon, um, and I love Tuacon. I actually had an aunt who was a costume designer for Tuacon um, before she passed away. So, and thank you for that, Thad. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you, Thad, for that that donation. We really appreciate that. Yeah. And so, Alex, if you want to go to the next slide. So, um, so yeah, I just think this is super interesting. I don't know if we need to read all this. Um, but I'll, I'll just go ahead. We kind of already talked about this. We are waited upon by representatives of the different sects, each um, descanting upon his particular plan of salvation and its advantage over all the rest. The Quaker advocated his non-resistance doctrine. The Methodists gave a graphic, um, but did not, but not very refined description of the future torments of those who did not take his road to heaven. The Presbyterian gave his belief in foreordination and election in very terse, um, very terse lines. Um, and his lines were, if you can't, you can if you can't. If you will, you won't. You'll be damned if you do. You'll be damned if you don't. And the Baptist, <laughs> the Baptist expatiated upon the virtues of immersion and close communion and insisted upon predestination as the principal basis of religion. And the Catholic called for observances of fasts and prayers to the Virgin Mary. So yeah, they're just saying these are all the different ways the world is presenting it. And these are all incorrect. So yeah. Again, like yeah. we, we're the right ones, these are the wrong ones. And then specifically pointing out their plans of salvation is super interesting to me. Like, um, yeah, because their way or the highway sort of thing. Well, but. that and and that is definitely um not narcissistic 
at all. <laughs> Just keep going. And Alex, you can it, it's it's classic um, cult like. Well, yeah, I wasn't gonna say cult like, but sure, it's classic um, manipulation manipulation to mm -hmm. show the alternatives right well if you can make their alternatives look ridiculous mm -hmm. then yours shines a little brighter even if yours also has some ridiculousness to it so it's classic manipulation for you to to contrast the two in a not so honest light yeah and it's giving a, a, a an us and them like let's separate sure. ourselves um, and prove that we're sure. the better one. So, yeah. Anyway, um, do you want to read this one? Oh, you can read it. So I think this one comes from Analyze's book as well. So she says, we were then given certain signs, passwords, and grips arranged in a circle and told to kneel. The women were also required to cover their faces with so, their veils. I'll pause right here. So women, circle, right? Yes. So in the beginning, women were not allowed in the prayer circle. It was just for the men. So I just wanted to point that out. So then we were bidden to raise our right hand to heavenward and take the oath of implicit obedience and inviolable secrecy. The women promised entire subjection to their husband's will. The men, the men that they would take no woman as a wife without the express permission of the priesthood. We all promised that we would never question the commands of our authorities in the church, but would grant them instant obedience. This doesn't sound cult-like at all. Nope, no culty. This is not a cult. Mormonism is not a cult. Definitely not. It's not. Nope, not even a little bit. Mm -mm. Not even a, nope. We swore also to entertain an everlasting enmity to the United States government. Love mm. that. And to disregard its laws so far as possible. <laughs> this doesn't sound, what, which, which, um, um, 12th, our, our Mason, 12th, this sounds like the opposite. Anyway, we swore that we would use every exertion to avenge the death of our prophet Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram upon the Gentile race by whose means they were brought to their unhappy fate and to teach our children to foster this spirit of revenge also. And last of all, we swore never to reveal the mysteries of the endowment house. Wow, that's Christ-like. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just mm -hmm. a lot of, yeah. I wow. don't know how much to go into that, but. And, and if, if you guys know anything about the Reformation, about Joseph Smith's, or not Joseph Smith's, um, Brigham Young's time in Salt Lake, about what happened with the Mountain Meadow Massacre, all of this makes sense because what their focus was at that time was to, like, they were taught that only the Mormons were going to even live out the century. Like, oh, all the rest of the Americas is just going to be Mormons left. Nobody else will be even alive. So right. teaching that literally, like, uh, take revenge upon any of these non-Mormons because, because they are the reason that jo Joseph Smith and Hiram are dead. And the United States is just the enemy and they all need to just be gone, wiped off from the face of the, the earth. All of this ideation is what led to massacres of, of people coming across the United States, of the Native Americans that got into their hands, all of this kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. We talked we talked about this a little bit in one of our episodes about conspiracy theories and how mm -hmm. that has happened. We also talked about like the um oh goodness, the oh shoot, the book about the the brothers that killed a wife. Oh my Lafferty gosh. brothers. Yes, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how that kind of um thought process is engendered in the church. Like not that the church as a as an entity supports what the Lafferty Lafferty brothers do. But so much about what the church teaches and the culture of the church 
breeds that kind of exceptionalism and eccentricism and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, you know, in mainstream Mormonism um, or the Brigham version, Brighamites version of Mormonism or, you know, the Salt Lake City, um, Utah Mormons, um, you're not going to see this distrust of the government and whatnot quite as overtly as you will in the fringe groups. But when you start looking at the Mormon fringe groups, you're going to start seeing a lot of like the Vallo Daybell case. And I mean, they killed their kids um, because they were quote unquote evil. And by evil, I, I believe it was JJ had autism. Um, and I, yeah, just you see this, the Lafferty brothers is one um, that this gets really fringy. And, you know, Mason, I don't want to pick on your family at all, but it is very fascinating to me um, in Mason's, both his immediate family and his extended family, how many conspiracy theorists there are. And it does not matter what evidence you give them to the contrary. The cognitive bias is so strong and they feel that the church's teachings support them in that. So, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot that goes into conspiracy theories for sure. But one of the things that I find very interesting in the, the Mormon conspiracy theorists or those with that Mormon background is that those conspiracy theories are thought to be supported by the belief system that they align themselves with, with within that Mormonism um, thing. And then, I mean, just the other thing that's just terrifying is Mormons will follow the prophet before anybody else. Um, and so if the prophet said, take up arms, it's going to, it would happen, um, for, for many, for many members. Um, even something so, to, oh, sorry. I just wanted to add even something just as simple as, um, accepting your family who's gay, they're going to listen to the church. They're going to put the church. A lot of times they're going to put the church before their own family. So before their own children. Yeah. So not just taking up arms, but like even the small things that like right. although COVID vaccine that was crossing the line. That yeah. Was... The COVID vaccine definitely crossed a line for all because the Mormon that... anti-vaxxers. Thank That's you. Nelson. The, those conspiracy theories conflicted and they, well, I guess they that chose... well, and you know, in, in support of the conspiracy theorists on that anti-vax movement, you know, if you look at where the LDS church owns stock, Big Pharma is like their third major holding. Um, and so, yeah, there's some, there's some like question marks over that. So, you know, the, the biggest issue with conspiracy theories is that most of them do come from um some element of truth like you can pull you know i know that like one of mason's brothers is huge into like fluoride and chemicals in the water um and yeah some in some areas water is definitely over chemical and it's bad for you and and i get that but it's not taken into the context so you know i me personally i have multiple sclerosis i chose to get the covid vaccine because I am immunosuppressed and I take immunosuppressants. Um, I did not have a negative reaction to the COVID vaccine. I felt like that was the right choice for myself. Um, absolutely. And, you know, there, there are going to be other people that disagree with that choice and that's fine. You can, you know, do with your body as you, as you please. I don't want to get there, but it is very interesting to me that a command from the prophet also financially benefited the church, when you look at their portfolio holdings, they have a lot of money 
in big pharma. So, That's yeah. really interesting. And yeah. and Sarah, I'm I'm diabetic, so we also went for the vaccines and have no issues with that. Um, but yeah, my family also is anti-vaxxers, so we got a lot of pushback from that. And they have a lot of other. My Mormon family also has mm-hmm. a lot of other interesting beliefs that I would call conspiracies. Um, yeah. To them, they make 100% sense and super interesting. There's some members of my family that will do even energy he- healing at the same time as believing in Mormonism. And I don't understand how the two of them connect and how they can overlap and not, but you know what we make. Yeah. But but one of the, right. One of the interesting things about energy healing is that that recently got nixed in the handbook. So it's, it's it's just, it's fascinating. So, all right, keep going. I I mean, we could do like 20 different podcasts on yeah. some of the tangents we've been on today. Go ahead, Mason. Sorry. Well, and and again, just <clears throat> excuse me, taking this to kind of the psychology and the mental health. Let me just pull out a couple of words that are so very toxic here, right? Implicit obedience, inviolable mm-hmm. secrecy, promised entire subjection to their husbands, never question the commands of the authorities of the church. Yeah. everlasting enmity to the United States government. These are the kinds of things. Uh, oh, and to teach our children to foster the spirit of revenge also. You know, like these are the kinds of things that develop that kind of problem. Like this is a black, this is a black and white. There's no question one iota where the church members stand on these issues after taking this covenant. Like you have been owned. You know exactly what is expected of you for a woman. You will obey your husband, no matter what you will obey the leadership of the church, no matter what you will hate the government. You will seek to avenge the leaders of the church, avenge the leaders of the church that were killed. And of course that's easy to then move to, Oh, wait, there's this group of people down there. They were involved. They were involved in what happened in Missouri and in in Illinois. This is our chance. Let's go take them out. Right. Let's go. Let's let's do this avenging process, because also you'll have to recognize the drama play of the 1800s. This wasn't in the temple. There was no active temple at this time. This was all part of the endowment house. You know, this is just, it's the extremism that is built into the underlying theocracy of this organization. It's been yeah. softened down over the years, but it's its still there. Yeah, the undertones are still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish we could like comments and not just highlight them, because I just want to like Which one? <laughs> <of> these comments <laughs> about the women had the priesthood and healed others. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if energy healing is allowed, then women can do it and women don't need the priesthood in order to do it. Right. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to um, actually put that suggestion into StreamYard because when I try and do that, um, it only gives me the options to put the user in timeout or ban them forever and delete their comments. <laughs> so maybe we can don't maybe hit we the can wrong say, button. Right. Maybe we can say, hey, could you give us the ability to like the comment while we're streaming rather than ban them forever? That would be amazing. So I will put that in, in the suggestion comments because at the end of every stream yard thing, we get to give them little suggestions. So 
Um, I will put the pressure on StreamYard and they will most likely respond much faster than the Mormon church um, <laughs> in making those changes and getting up with the times. And Coco just gave us permission. We can <laughs> ban them if we want to, but no, if if I actually moments though. Yeah, oh, Coco, you frankly she great... just took all the fun out of it. She yeah, took all the fun out of it now. Yeah, I don't want just... to ban her now. There's there's no fun yeah. in that. That's yeah. If I did that, it would be a total accident. I am, I am down with as long as our audience is not bullying or making racial threats or violence. You're, we're going to see what you say, even yeah. if it's y'all suck and I fucking hate you. I'll be like, oh, let's, let's put that one up and, and embrace it. I love that stuff. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so the next one. So the next slide, if you want to just go to that one. So this one, I don't know if we need to read it, the whole thing, but so it's just, just putting a name on it. So the Oath of Vengeance was kind of what we read about um, teaching your ch children to take event take vengeance on the government and stuff like that. Um, so that happened in 1845. So after Joseph Smith's death, death in 1844, they kind of took a year off of temple work. Um, I think probably the succession crisis was the main thing, but uh, but yeah, so this happened in there and they, this is the wording of that. And, and then, then they just sort of took it away gradually. And if you look at the timeline of when they took it away, it seems like they are, it is four generations later. Um, if you think of the generations as in like 15, 20 years, that kind of math. Um, but anyway. Well, let's read the the oath. So this was after, uh, this was 1845? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to read it for our podcast okay. listeners later. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. Sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, the oath was, you and each of you do covenant and promise that you will pray and never cease to pray to Almighty God to avenge the blood of the prophets upon this nation and that you will teach the same to your children and to your children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Yeah, so that was in the temple for many years. So that's... Right. Well, and I think our parents did a good job um, because, you know, I grew up thinking that Joseph Smith was a martyr, that he had mm -hmm. been killed innocently. I had no idea that, you know, he was being killed because of the, you know, destruction of the printing press for, or that he had been, I'm sorry, he was imprisoned um, for the destruction of the printing press and refusal Never to fix, fix it, right? Um, and that he, you know, that the mob was actually coming af after him because of, you know, fear of him perpetrating or continuing his perpetration and soliciting of um, girls, women, minors, other men's uh, wives without the men's knowledge or the women's consent, um, or that, you know, it was because of him revealing Masonic symbols and oaths and covenants and, and those types of things. And yes, Coco, I agree with you. Brigham was an incredibly violent human. He was very, for me, it's amazing to me that the um, group that followed him is the group that thrived um, because of his violence and really unethical practices, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Stop it. Sorry, our dogs are playing. Um, if you, if you want to go to the next um, slide. Ooh. Oh, wait, did we go? Yeah. So I just want to talk about this one really fast. So I don't, did you guys, was this part of the ceremony for you guys? I it was not, not, but we did not. talk about this one and the one that we went okay, through. Yeah, so, yeah, but keep, keep going. Okay, so the five points of fellowship was an important embrace between the temple patron um, and the Lord. So the five points of fellowship, um, so it was, um, one, of the, one of the accounts says it was the inside of the right foot by the side of the right foot, knee to knee, breast to breast, and back to 
and to the back and mouth to ear. So it's just like what they're doing here is, is the embrace. Hand, hand to back. Oh, hand to back. Sorry. Um, yeah, I need to fix these slides. Um, so then it was removed in the temple ceremony after 1990. Oh, Coco did it. Oh, Coco did this. Coco did. And I believe my parents would have and my grandparents would have. And my I I did. actually, yeah, my mom once told me Mitt that Romney there was did. only one part of the temple that really bothered her. Like I remember when I was going through, she said there was one part that really bothered me. It was when I had to basically hug God. And I'm really glad that they took that out and you don't have to do that. Sarah and I never oh. knew what the hell she was talking about until ta-da. Yeah. yeah, so it's just interesting. After 144 years, it was removed without any explanation. And one of the, you know, first of all, I think people were complaining because it was very uncomfortable. And then another thing is that it this is a, an exact thing from Masonry. It's the five points of fellowship, it's just word for word, embrace the whole thing is exactly from there. I don't even think there's any modification. I think it's exactly the same. Yeah, straight out of Masonry. So yeah, Howie says absolutely straight out of masonry. So yeah, wow. so that's just super interesting. And this is one thing that I, I've been reading. Um, I, I, I don't know how to say his name, but it's David John Berger. Um, he's done a lot of research on the Mormon temple history changes. And he talks about how the very the very most important um, sign and token or the, the words that you give to the Lord, the very most important one was always done with the five points of fellowship. Like that was a very key part of this. And so to just have it be removed was kind of startling for people because like, like, like you said, if this is um, come from the, if this came from the Lord, why was it being changed? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I love Kat's comment here. I did this as well, was really uncomfortable, especially when the men tried to pull me closer and their arm was resting on my breast. And well, yeah, yeah, they would have pulled you closer because you're supposed to be breast to breast, which is yeah. very uncomfortable for women to do this with a man like but, i guess if your husband's pulling you through and like i don't know if that's the same as acting yeah before, but buddy yeah, yeah there's no yeah that's not. hey mason let's do this when we get home i got some ideas <laughs> we're, we're, okay, we're gonna re mason and i are gonna go home tonight and we are going to reenact we're gonna reenact the slithering devil the oh, i didn't go seek the the naked initiatory stuff i mean y'all how many stuff. bottles of cinnamon whiskey? Um, yes, there's going to be cinnamon whiskey <laughs> involved, but it's going to be the internal cleansing. And just for me, because Mason would die. Uh, Mason is not a spicy <laughs> person or a whiskey person. Yes, I'm going to do some five points role play. I just want you to know, I apologize, mm -hmm. Julia and America. The invitation has been rescinded. There will be no dinner at our house for you guys. <laughs> Not tonight, Catch anyway. To Not tonight. We're gonna be busy. We have, yeah, we have learned some things that we missed out on in Mormonism that we would like to experience as part of our healing and connective journey. Well, I will say, and I don't know if this might be um, a little bit sacrilegious, but Julia and I do sometimes do the handshakes to each other just, just because we find it to be funny. Uh, we don't want to forget them. You could be wrong. So we could be wrong sure. and we need to know the handshakes to get into heaven. Yeah. So we just want to keep it fresh. Can you actually, can you actually forget that? I mean, like right now I'm learning how to train horses and my horse trainer has told me that basically you train the horse and then once they've done it over and over again for six years, they'll never forget their training. They just need like little reminders here and there. And I think that's how the temple is. Like I am never going to forget some of that stuff until Alzheimer's settle. Well, I think in. it depends on how many times you've gone through the temple. 
Like, yeah, if you've so, only gone through it once, and then I'm, I might be a little bit. You're also not a horse, so, you know. Yeah. I, sometimes yourself. I would rather be. <laughs> I mean, for a good route, for a good writing anyway, but, um, Mason, <laughs> um, so Coke, I was going to ask you, what do you mean by, but the Mason's meaning is actually eye opening. I would love to see, um, the meaning. Yeah. I don't know that I don't, yeah. I'm what what are you, what are you Mason. saying there for we sure? Actually, we actually talked about that in our episode as well. If, if you listen, we talked about the meaning Ew. of that, the five points of health. Oh yeah. So Kat's saying that she tried to pull away from the temple worker and they would pull her closer. And that's really icky. And the knee to knee got really interesting depending on the height of each participant. Just oh, saying. Um, yeah, that would be very I can't imagine why they took this out. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna tell you right now mm -hmm. that if somebody was trying to pull me closer, that knee definitely would have risen to the occasion. Um, in order to allow me to separate and put some more appropriate oh, gotcha. space. Just saying. <laughs> I, I need space here. Well, and, and this here too, Kat, yeah, I was told to stop thinking negatively about it and to think about it as a beautiful experience, which means that you were ignoring your amygdala, which is your fight or flight response, which is the part of your brain that's like, hey, there's danger here. Um, and and just giving in, which is why we did one, um, one of our episodes previously was kind of like, are we grooming people in the temple? And I would say, you know, in this case, yes, it makes me uncomfortable. I didn't really consent. I'm giving you all of the social cues of, I don't like this right now. Let me, let me, um, back up a little bit. Let me reevaluate. And it's like, no, if you back up, if you slow down, if you reevaluate, that's just Satan you have to do this. And that is definitely a grooming like behavior. So one thing, when you were Go talking, ahead. one thing that I will say as a positive for the church is that in this new 2023 changes, they, um, they used to have you, they say, um, if you don't want to make any of these covenants, raise your hand now, but they haven't told you any of the covenants that you're about to make. But now in 2023, they'll at least say, you'll be making the, the covenant of chastity and the, and they'll, they'll kind of list the four or five that you do. And so you still don't know a lot of details about them. And I still think it's not totally informed consent, but it's, at least it's something where that, that you can then raise your hand and say, I'm not comfortable with these. And then you can leave. But like, it's one tiny thing. Right. Absolutely. I, I think, hold on. I think that that the funny thing about that is that that is actually even more dangerous because then they're giving you the semblance of consent. You feel like you've consented, like you have an idea of what's going on. Oh, we're going to come into the law of chastity. Duh, I had to do that already. We're coming to the law of obedience. Well, yeah, sure. Why not? Like right. it's not, it's no new it information. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's no new information. They don't say anything about you're going to have to covenant to receive and keep tokens secret. They don't talk about the fact that you are going to, you know, whatever, whatever else it is. Like there's no real consent. And the church tends to do that where they make it seem like, like that, that quote that you read about, why the changes are happening right they make it sound like they're giving you full disclosure yeah but the reality is is they're not and so it's yeah. even more dangerous because before there was no consent aside from just saying i want to go to the temple you, mm. you know there was no consent for what was actually going to happen now there is consent but you are still ignorant of what you're consenting That's to very good right. point yeah, better not perfect so uh we asked coco you know what did she mean about 
um, understanding the masonry meaning um, that it's very eye-opening. And Coco says um, that it was done in a brotherly way to help each other. So yes, remember in masonry, women were not allowed in those ceremonies. It was just about men trying to help men be better. Um, Coco says to that the five points of fellowship are, you know, remember to put your best uh, foot forward um, and pray that we do things in the right way. Um, and that that's why, okay. And then they say, that is why, if you know why the Masons did the five points, but you don't know why the Mormons are doing it, it just becomes very weird. I think once you, you know, especially in a temple where you're not supposed to talk about things, you're not supposed to bring up where you're uncomfortable. That's where you end up with the, um, grooming behavior because you're, not allowed to consent. You're not allowed to question. You're not really allowed to pull away. Like your only option is, okay, it happened to me once, then I don't go back, which then you're shamed for, you know, it's kind of like if you have questions, you're bad, you're evil. Um, And then I really appreciate Kat sharing that, you know, they hated the temple veil as, um, so they say, as I felt very uncomfortable, but when I questioned it, I was told that I wasn't righteous enough. And as I attended more, I would grow to love it and see it as so spiritual. And that is exactly what sexual perpetrators do. They're like, yeah, this hurts now, but eventually you're going to love it. Um, and so, yeah, in, in the temple, I'm, I'm just going to say this is a, it's a huge trauma bond because you, you're supposed to do it no matter what it makes you uncomfortable. But if you stop doing it, what do you stand to risk? And in Mormonism, you lose your family connections, you lose your community, you lose your existential um, standing, you lose love of God. You, I mean, there, yes. And, and for people on the outside, they would say that's all perceived loss, but perception is reality. And so when you believe that this is what's going to happen to you, it, it changes things. And then, yeah, I agree with latter daily digest, no informed consent or keyword full disclosure. Um, and then this is just heartbreaking from Kat. I have um, heard this so many times from clients. Um, and so I just kind of want to echo this. It says I went through on my wedding day and by the time it was all over, I was in tears as I was being escorted to the ceiling room. The temple worker thought I was in tears because the spirit was so strong. Um, and yeah, this is bringing up hard memories. So Kat, um, if this is really difficult for you, um, I would be happy to chat with you. Um, afterwards, you just have to email us at daisygirlcommunications at gmail.com. That comes directly to me. Um, and I would absolutely be willing to talk with you about that. And if at any time, um, anything gets really difficult for you, please. Um, you, a lot of people are calling the 988 a suicide prevention line. And yes, it absolutely is that, but you don't have to feel like you're going to harm yourself or somebody else to utilize it. They will talk to you about something if it is feeling overwhelming. Um, that it that is part of this. Um, we don't want to utilize it as a, you know, just a mental health counseling Thing, but if you are truly feeling overwhelmed and you need somebody to just be like, okay, I've got to talk to somebody. This is coming up and it's overwhelming. They are they are there for you, um, and they can help refer you to a counselor that can then take over that long that long term care. So um, there is absolutely nothing to be sorry about at um, at all. This is 
this can be incredibly emotionally overwhelming and triggering for so many people, especially when the temple has not been a positive place for you. So if you need somebody to talk to, please email us um, and I will get back to you as, as soon as I, as soon as I can. So. Yeah. What's, you know, what's triggering is that the church doesn't allow for the possibility of someone having a negative experience in the temple. Like you're, you're crying in the temple. Okay. You can assume it was just a spiritual experience, but can you not ask? Or you say, I'm really uncomfortable at the veil is someone like, why can't they just say, Oh, what makes you uncomfortable? No, they jump right to, well, obviously you're not righteous enough to enjoy this. Like it's such a shaming statement to just put you down instead of just being curious, like, Oh, what was it that, about the, the veil that was so uncomfortable for you? Oh, well, it's the fact that I, some man was sticking his hand through the veil and I didn't know who he was. And I got to put my hand on his shoulder. You know what? That was kind of uncomfortable for me too. I get that. You know, you can, you'll kind of work through it. It is a representation of the Lord. And of course it comes with its, you know, this is, this is the earth. So it comes with its problems, but then you have a conversation about what's going on rather than a, a shaming moment that, you know, yeah, it's just, it's so, and you know what? I'm sure some people do do that. I'm sure that there's people in the temple who do have that conversation because there's a lot of good people there, but yeah. it's not, it's not the culture that is fostered in the temple. Right. It's not the norm. And then Kat says one of the worst or, or one of the worst things for them is that the day before she was telling her husband and family how she would never agree to obey and nobody, I mean, what a great opportunity to say, actually, you know, that's part of the temple covenant. Cause like this. there's nothing about the things you're promising that are secret or sacred. It's the handshakes and the tokens and, and right. whatnot. It's not what the co what covenants you're going to be making. And, you know, Kat, I feel you on this. My dad was horrible and my mom obeyed him forever and never stood up for me when my father was abusive. And so I too was very nervous. And I remember saying, I'll obey. And then it was as my husband hearkens to the Lord. And for me, I went, well, anytime he doesn't do it the way I want him to, that means he's not hearkening to the Lord. And in my mind, it was like protecting the kids. Don't yell at the kids and whatnot. Like it wasn't, that was, yeah, Mason's over there laughing. It wasn't meant for me. Like my intention was not, um, if it's not the way I want things, that's not the way the Lord wants it. Rather, my brain was, if he's yelling at my kids, if he's doing to my kids what my father did to me, I don't have to obey and I will stand up for my kids. But yeah, that's, that's big. So that you had that in your mind, though, like as an out, like for me, um, my this was not quite exactly the same thing, but I was, uh, my parents were um, divorced when I was four because of abuse. And so in my mind, I always had this um, out for myself as like the moment he hits anybody, um, then I will go. But that was like, I was married for seven years to someone that I wasn't in love with because I believed that that was the right thing to do. And there was a lot of reasons that I should have gotten divorced, but because he never hit me or any human in our family, um, cause he did hit the dog. Um, I didn't feel like there was any reason to leave or end my marriage. So anyway, but at least there was a, you know, there's a bar that you said for yourself, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, Mason bar. and I, Mason and I got married with, we're not going to parent or treat each other the way either of our parents parented or treated each other. And I think that's 
you know, one of the great things that, that we've been able to do differently. Um, and I love this comment from Coco. Excuse me. I just, you know, enacted slitting my throat and holding my bowels um, and holding my heart in my hand. And this makes me very uncomfortable. And then her answer from the temple patron was you're a heathen. Is that, is that so, an exact quote? Did you say that Coco? Uh, that's just super interesting. Yeah. Yes. So, that's so Coco, the question is, did you actually say that? Like, is that um, as close to an exact quote as um, <laughs> somebody, get it? somebody mentioned earlier, you know, not understanding the whole cupping thing. And what I was going to say was kind of snarky, but here it comes up as like, uh, oh, yeah, that's just to prepare you to catch your bowels or your testicles when we cut them off because you told somebody about them. It's just like, yeah, like we don't know. There's nothing like the, the cupping thing doesn't make doesn't make any sense it doesn't have any connection to what we do but we can't talk about it you know we uh, yeah it's from god so we don't talk about that crap why are you even asking you heathen kind of thing? right and then yeah. yeah exact obedience it causes people to not question and they just have these uncomfortable thoughts like you were talking about uh, yeah. ignoring your amygdala yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Coco says, no, I would have never, no, I would never have said that those were my thoughts. But one of the things that I love from, um, the, one of the things that I love from Brene Brown is, um, she talks about the story that you're telling yourself. And usually the story that you're telling yourself is, you know, it's a survival instinct. It's your amygdala scanning your brain for negative memories. And so, Sometimes those um, intrusive thoughts that just won't go away is your amygdala's way of talking to you. It's your own internal self-dialogue that is, you know, kind of like that. Oh, my goodness, this is terrifying. If I bring this up, what's going to happen? Oh, they're going to shame me. They're going to call me these names. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And so you're, you're going to see that. And so um, if you are interested in learning more about the brain, you can see some of our earlier episodes and then upcoming here more towards the end of January or February, we are going to be doing our unpacking uh, with Sarah Westbrook. Um, and it's we're going to really focus on the neuroscience and how these things are going on and what you can do to take care of them as a psychoeducation. Yeah. Um, as a psychoeducation uh, blah, 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 content there. Um, so, and yes, Coco, I completely agree that if the Mormons knew the Mason rituals, they would know more about what they're actually doing in the temple, but because the church has changed it, um, unless you're willing to look at non-Mormon material, you're just not going to understand what's really going on. So, alrighty. So... So Kat says, I had no family there because I was the only member. So I was by myself and kept looking for my fiance to help. But no one would meet my gaze as I kept looking around. They all just Aww. acted like this was completely normal. Oh, <laughs> that's so yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, because of course, you can take an uncomfortable experience. And if you're with friends, you're with family, you know, you can you can tolerate those kind of things. We've all been through uncomfortable things that aren't necessarily unhealthy. Group think. Beware, group think. But but also, yeah, be, beware, because if something is uncomfortable, then we don't want to just write it off. You know, some we go through uncomfortable things that we have to learn to to deal with. But we also go through uncomfortable things that maybe we need to stand up and say, I don't think so. This isn't OK. I'm not doing this. And yeah. it's really hard to do that in this situation. You're not really set up for walking out of the temple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So any other comments from America or Julia on this before we're ready to go ahead and move forward? 
Well, I would just um, add to that, like, so in my in my first temple experience, um, I went through the endowment and came out and my family all was there and they were all looking at me like, yeah, this is an interesting experience, right? Welcome, welcome. You're now part of the fold. So it was kind of like, I just went through this crazy experience and I have so many questions, but well, yeah, let's just normalize it. Everything's good. Everything's okay. Like, okay. All right. So I think that the reason that they do have all the family come and, and be there for you is to kind of normalize it. Like, yeah, we all went through this too. You're now part of the club. Welcome in. Like, right. Yeah. Right. yeah what my, kind of my what family boy is going to say y'all crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. and my family was kind of like, oh, there's nothing to see here. It's time for us to work on getting to the dinner afterwards because we were having like the, mm -hmm. we were having a great big family dinner. So like I came through the celestial room and nobody even asked me what I thought. There was not a moment. It was like, all right, time for us to yeah, head out for dinner. And, and I think, um, I think that one of the things that's, that's kind of funny about that is my family has a huge um, like genetic or whatever. We are emotional eaters to the nth degree. Like we like our food. And so I almost feel like, like it was like, all right, let's get out to dinner so you can self-soothe, self-soothe yeah. after that. And then, yeah, let's, I'm going to close out, um, close out with this as we begin to move on to the next slide is we've got, I think today's generation, generation would yell, what the fuck? Um, am I slitting my throat? I am not doing that, bruh. And yes. <laughs> I would hope so. But like at the same time, people did this in the past. And, and uh, Oh, I was, I was them. total, I was total group think, right? When I went through the yeah. temple, it was because I was getting ready to go on my mission. There was, I like, I wasn't interested in another option. Like I totally wanted to be on a mission. <clears throat> I, I went for no other reasons than I wanted to be there because I felt like it was the right thing to do. So there was total group think it would not have mattered what had gone on in the temple. I was there. I was mm -hmm. going, yeah. I was going to get married to somebody in the temple. There was no other option. Doesn't matter what uncomfortable is going on. This has to happen. Right. Total group think. And, yeah, exactly. and so I didn't, you know, I didn't, I don't remember having any kind of an emotional experience about this. I, I remember it being a positive spiritual experience, but there was no emotional experience because there was no room for that. This is just another cog in the wheel. This is just another check mark on the board. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. So what do we have next? Uh, so yeah, so you can go to the next one, but hang on. I just wanted to say really fast because it popped into my head. So the, you know, we have the early washings and anointings in 1836 and then the earliest temple ceremonies were in 42. And so women weren't allowed to be in the temple until 1843. So I just think that was really interesting how he, it was, it, women weren't allowed to go until later. So I just wanted to add that in there because you mentioned that Masons were only, are only for men. And that's yeah. how the temple was at the beginning too. So were the women allowed to go into the temple for at least like the ceiling stuff or was that not part of it? Just, no, the ceilings weren't didn't a come thing about until 43. 43. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, and that's also really interesting because Joseph Smith was taking women before that ceiling power was restored. So, or even sure. before he and had Emma, <laughs> or before right, and Emma wasn't the first person that he got sealed to either. So, so yeah. she was like the 20, she was the 26th. I think as far as the, uh, as Todd Compton's numbers go, I think she was like the 26th wife, but, but also he was taking women that were not endowed. So that's, I don't understand what he's doing there, but <laughs> nobody yeah, anyways, does. So Nobody yeah. doesn't matter. Just brush it under the rug and mm -hmm. keep going. It doesn't and matter if they're endowed. They have boobs and a vagina. That's all that really matters. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Uh -huh. And he was taking the women before he received the revelation of DNC yeah, so 123. Sure. So, 
Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about the penalties now. Um, I just want to talk about the, yeah, if you'll go to the next slide, Alex. Um, so do you want to read this one? So today there are signs and tokens that are given and shown in the temple ceremony. The temple patrons are instructed at different points in the ceremony to hold their right arm at, at one point, the left arm, to the square, and at other times holding the other arm down with the fingers closed together with the thumb extended or in the cupping position. These signs are not explained at any point during the ceremony. So yeah, no matter how many times you go, they don't explain it. You just, in fact, I remember thinking like, what if I'm putting my hand on the Bible and I'm holding the Liahona or like I had all these weird things that's like to make it okay. And I thought this maybe had something to do with like baby blessings, like how they stand in the circle and they hold the baby like this. I was yeah, like, maybe yeah. that's related, um, but no, it's not related. Yeah. And so if you go to the next slide. Um, so, so before 1990, the penalties were much different. Instead of folding their right arm through the square, the patrons would take their hand and slide it across their throat. And then additionally, when the, when the hand was next to the, them facing, so they would slide it across their stomach. And then I, as far as I know, and I re-listened to the 1990 uh, or the earlier temple ceremonies, I don't think they explain it. They just set up a peril of your life. They don't explain that this is a knife and that this is like cutting you and then you're holding your bowels I, or your organs. I don't think they explain those at all. So again, no explanation is given at this point. And if you go to the next slide. She's wearing the veil backwards. Oh. Not her, the first one. <laughs> Uh, do you want to do, do this one? So this is what it was in the, in the early 1800s. Okay. Well, and she looks or glorious. Look at her. She's got this. Anyway, the breaking of this latter oath was to be followed by the most horrible penalties. Torture of the most excruciating kind was to be inflicted upon anyone who should dis disregard this oath. His bowels should be torn from him while he was yet alive. His throat should then be cut from ear to ear, his heart and his tongue cut out. And in the world to come, he should inherit eternal damnation. There should be, nor could be, no chance of salvation for him. These promised penalties are by no means mere forms of words given merely to add impressiveness to the ceremony. The blood atonement shows that they are carried out and hundreds of cases could be cited in addition to those already given to prove that the endowment house penalties are by no means dead letters in the Mormon church law. The cutting of every Gentile and apostate throat and the sending to hell across lots that have been so openly and emphatically urged from the stand by Brigham Young and others is only a public expression of the mysteries of the endowment oaths. All of these penalties have their roots in masonry. Okay, so that quote comes from, yeah, so that, that quote comes from Annalisa's book as well. And she goes on to list people who were blood atoned. And I've heard um, recently a scholar said that there was only like two instances of blood atonement. So I, it'd be really interesting to actually see, to follow up with her list and see how they um, pair. How they compare. Yeah. Wow. Well, John Dewey like mentions a lot of people dying by blood atonement. So I don't believe it's only two. Right. I, yeah. Anyway. So yeah. So they, so they're, they're being told what these signs are that they're literally cutting themselves and their hearts and their throats. And anyway, so they're, so they knew then, and then it's been washed out, even though we still have, it's almost like we're holding the knife. Anyway, so the penalties are still there. We just, it's, there's just no inform information about it at all. I like that this woman in the picture is holding an actual knife. Yeah, that's just, I think that's just in a rendition for a, a newspaper, but I don't. Yeah, I don't it, when, it, when you first pulled it up, I was like, wait, is that like Bellatrix Lestrange's wand or something? And then I was like, oh no, it's a, it's a knife, Sarah. I'm um, also one of the, so I see it in the comments um, and I didn't put a, make a slide for this, but the, before they had the words Paleal, um, when one of the, and I don't know if this is uh, bad, but um, we're already talking about penalties. Um, one of the signs or the tokens, I can't remember what is the words, the signs, um, paleal, but then it was changed to, oh God, hear the words of my mouth. So there was a lot of dispute there about what that meant, whether it was like, um, 
meaning whether it meant hear the vo voice of my mouth or whether it meant something totally different. So, so I think that's why they just changed it to, Oh Lord, hear the words of my mouth. Yeah. So Thad, um, Julia and America are in the process of putting all of this on their website. Is that correct? Julia and America. Um, yeah. So, so that so you can a find of, a lot of these things. So these, a lot of the pictures that I put in this presentation come from different sources and different things. There's a lot of different sources that I'm pulling from. Uh, David Berger, I think is how it says you say his name. He, he has a book about the, it's called mysteries of godliness and he goes through the temple changes and analyzes book is really good. Mary Eddy. These are two women that left Mormonism and they, wrote exposés. Uh, Annalisa Young's book, um, Wife Number 19, is really fun to read, too. She's a very good she's writer. She's very interesting to read. Yeah, so there's just a lot of different locations. But yeah, I'm working to put this all in the website so that it'll, it'll be all in one place. Right. So this Charles person is, I don't know you personally, Charles, but you're my favorite because of your Let's Go Chant um, <laughs> in front of the general conference center that would be a blast that is totally the way that i uh respond to things if you don't believe me ask mason he'll tell you i'm a little snarky rebel but charles says that the um paleo is adam's language or adamic meaning oh god hear the words of my mouth so basically what we've done is we took it out of adam's language and put it into english and this is according to joseph this is joseph's versions of Joseph's version of Adam's language. So yes, thank you, thank you for pointing that out. But well, uh, have you the guys? The coolest thing about inventing a language is no one can question you, right? Yeah. Until until the Rosetta Stone Stone comes out, and until they do, Abraham Book of Abraham has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with Book of Abraham. Book of Abraham. Right. Right. Yep. Well, that was and, really inconvenient. That was an inconvenient discovery. Yeah. Well, and I like Joseph Smith's font, like his alphabet. Like we should like make that a uh, keyboard font on phones nowadays, since it's you know just the <laughs> English alphabet uh, oh, yeah. with extra decorations. Yeah. There you go, two from Coco right there in the circle. You're holding your hand up in the cupping position, but they don't tell you that before 1990 you were slashing your heart out and now holding it. I told yeah. you it was to hold your bowels, right? Didn't I say that? Yeah, yeah you said that. Yeah. That's a good yeah, guess. Heart. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I know yeah, it was a guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you go to the next slide, um, but, so yeah, Thad, they have a website already. Um, so Julia and America, if you want to give that shout out for him real quick so and then go ahead. So it's analyzingmormonism.com. So there's a lot of stuff there already. It's just this part of it. Um, I don't have the temple, this specific stuff in there yet. I do talk about the um, other parts of it, like the oath of vengeance and things like that, but I'll just, I'll add, I'll be adding this here in, in the next day or so. Alrighty. Thank yeah. you so much. Okay, so now I just want to talk about the veil really fast. So if you go to the next slide. So today, temple patrons are brought before a veil at the end of the ceremony and question concerning the signs and tokens they received. And so I guess and people said that, that, that they no longer hand out the tokens um, during the ceremony, but just at the veil. And then they are there to repeat the signs and tokens at the veil while they obtain a new one. Um, so that's what, that, that's what goes on today. And then if you go to the next slide. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, um, do you want to go ahead and read some of this? Sure. So um, we're talking about the veil. She's, they say, who says this? Who's... This is probably Annalisa. Most of these quotes come from her. She says, the room we were in was divided by a muslin partition in which was a door. In this door was a hole just large enough to pass the hand through. And over this hole was a curtain of muslin. The person 
the persons who were behind this muslin partition, which was supposed to represent the veil, were invisible to us, although they could see us distinctly. A man approached the door as if seeking admittance, and the Apostle Peter, appearing at the opening, asked who was there and what was wanted. This sounds very familiar. He was told that someone wished to enter. The applicant was told to come near, and as he approached, hands came through the opening in the door and cut a mysterious mark on each breast of the man's garment, another over the abdomen, still another over the right knee. The garments of all the applicants were treated in the same mysterious manner, and the women were told to copy them in their own home when they got home. It was also commanded them that whenever their other garments were made, these marks must be placed on them. So yeah, I just wanted to show the difference between the veil then and the, the veil now. So the veil, you're just passing these signs and tokens, but back then you had your garments um, and then you they marked them there. Not the women, because I think probably because of- Nipple protection. Yeah, they didn't do it then for nipple protection. Right, so but isn't, <laughs> I think that's super interesting where they cut um, garment marks right there at the veil. They have, I, some people say there was scissors. There's other different sources that say all this. Some um, of them say that it, like, it would cut literally their skin too. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that they say why it was changed is because, um, because it was just hurting the individuals. And also, so it's then, probably really I mean, were they supposed to go home and like stitch it up? And that's why it's then stitched. Yeah. They were told to go home. Oh. and sew it. So yeah. So yeah, I just thought that was super interesting. Um, and this is a, this is a drawing of Joseph's original garments. You'll, they look very different now. My grandpa, for a while, he would always wear the, the wrist to ankle just like this so i thought that was interesting my my grandmother still wears the one with the bum slit and i know that because she loaned me her garments once when i bled through mine on a temple trip and that was the weirdest experience ever oh boy <laughs> <laughs> be really like a very breezy uh, very very breezy and i'm not having I mean, that that slit in the back did not stay closed um in my modern day pants or dress or Whatever. I mean, those ones probably would have been better to reduce chronic yeast infections because of the air <laughs> circulation in them versus the ones that I was told to wear. Um, they also would have made it a lot easier to leave them on during showers and whatnot, which I know for a while uh, the garment was not supposed to re be removed even like for showers or sex well, or anything. Sex, so, I mean, it would have been yeah. really easy to have sex in this. this right. Thing. Right. No skin to skin contact except through the slits. So I was going to say, I think you pointed out sort of in a way, I, I don't think garments are at all designed with women in mind because I, it's like you'd mentioned about getting infections and things like that. I, I just, what? Yeah. I had yeah. so many issues with my garments. I, I eventually ended up wearing regular underwear under them because I just could not. It's, I would just, yeah. they just were awful. My, and I had to tell my ex husband, look, this is the way it's got to be because I keep getting issues and he just had yeah. to suck it up yeah my uh mormon bishop who was also my obgyn slash infertility specialist um after the third or fourth time of going to him he was like you know you can just take them off on occasion and just go without and i was like oh thank god but i had to have the mormon obgyn tell me that not the oh. yeah yeah anyway all right Okay, so if we go to the next slide, so here, these next two are just quotes um, from different women that talk about how they recognize that there's a lot of ties to masonry. Of course, these are women, they don't, they are not masons, they don't know the ties, but then you have others, and I didn't put the slides in here, but you have other people like Heber C. Kimball talking about how, how Brigham's teaching was that masonry was corrupted, and then what the Mormons are doing is, is true, actual 
I don't know how to say that, true masonry. And I think she talks about that Celestial. here. Celestial masonry Celestial. is one Thank of the things that we saw, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Annalisa talks about how um, she said all good, she, it's just interesting where she's like, oh, people say it's claimed that the mysterious rites were taken from masonry, um, but she's like, that can't be true because all good masons would repudiate it and its teachings. So she's, I don't know, I just right. think that's interesting that they're noticing these. and That's some mental it. gymnastics to deal with some cognitive dissonance and right. utilizing some cognitive bias there. Right. I just find that that's pretty normal, though, for Joseph Smith. Like, he took something from somebody else and then, quote unquote, improved upon it and then claimed that it was the one true way, which is also a narcissistic tactic. So, yeah, and if you go to the next one, there's another quote. Um, I think it's, yeah, from Mary Eddie Smith, she says a similar thing. Um, she says the endowments were made to conform to those of masonry. Um, but this, she says, this is mere, this is a mere blind and the real object of these mysteries form this mystic forms in no way connect or is borrowed from masonry. So she's denying it, but she's heard it. But then you have the leaders who are saying, yes, this is masonry, but this is the, like you said, the celestial masonry. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, and even right, now, people... Mary wouldn't have known that though, because she was exactly. female. Exactly. There, right, she exactly. wasn't allowed in a Masonic temple. It would have been something that only the men who were also Masons would have right. known. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. That I thought that was interesting. And how people, members now can hear, like even as a member, I heard that there was ties to Masonry. Of course, I don't even know what that means. I don't know anything about Masonry or even as a, as a member of the church. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was interesting that even back then they seemed to understand or the world um, seem to understand that it was masonry on um, the next right. slide is the last one and then and then coco says the temple ceremony really pissed off the masons because the mormons were going through too fast and they eventually let in the women yeah. which is why there's that yeah. theory that many of the people in the mob that killed joseph smith were masons because in that day it was a very real thing to murder um masons who disclosed the secrets of masonry and i would say that like in my time as Mormonism, it was, you know, that true masonry came from the Solomon temples and then yep. over time they that. fucked it up and then Joseph Smith fixed it. And then the Masons will tell you now that that's not true, that they know that it's not from Solomon's temple. So yeah, but that is super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is my last slide and I just wanted to talk about how long it took. So today the endowment ceremony, I think if I'm not mistaken, lasts somewhere between two and two hours to one and a half hours. I think that's still similar. And then Mary Eddie Smith said the time, the time occupied in this initiation was, is about 10 hours, two days in the week are set apart for this purpose. And sometimes groups after groups succeed each other. Um, and so one of the reasons I just thought that was super interesting, 10 hours, um, David, um, Berger, and then other researchers, even Heber C. Kimball says that the time was really only two hours. Um, what took them so long, um, was that they, there usually was only one person accepting through the veil. So it just took a long time to funnel everybody through, um, so yeah, I can't imagine, uh, I mean, conferences, 10 hours. I can't imagine going through the temple for 10 hours. And they, often people would stay the night and then continue the temple ceremonies the next day. So stay the night in the temple, by yeah, the way, was totally a thing. Yeah, there was bedrooms in the temple and they stayed the night and often with their polygamists. I think Heber C. Kimball stayed the night one time with both two of his wives and Gordon right. Hinckley stays with his kids and his wife. You never talk, talked about how they supposedly drink wine with the devil. Oh, I didn't mention that. Yeah, there's a part in the, sorry, going back, there was a part in there where they pretend or they're running around with the devil and taking the fruit. Um, there's a part where he he's saying, I can't remember exactly the words he says, but he was like, oh, come let us drink together. And then so he passes around this little 
this little wooden bowl cup thing of wine and he everyone drinks from it um so i just thought that was funny and interesting so and there we we have stories of them having parties like dancing in the temple as well like yeah. the temple was just a really much which more is party. why 10 hours was doable it was like a grown-up fun time party mm -hmm. um and then bedrooms and all the other yes so um i love this from coco uh, when Joseph Smith was, you know, quote unquote, martyred or murdered, I'm going to say murdered. Um, when he was at the window looking for help at the jail, he knew that there were Masons in the crowd below. Um, and then he called out, am I not my brother's keeper or whatever it is, which was the Mason call and they ignored yeah, no, him. Yeah, probably. There's no help for the widow's son or something, something, like, something that. like that. Yeah. But yeah, right on the money, Kogo is, yeah, he called out for Masons as a sign of help or call for help. And he, of course, was not answered. So probably because he yeah. was soliciting all the women for sexual. Maybe, that, maybe you know, the abuse of power, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> all the things that he did which were all terrible right my my guess is that every human in that mob had their own individual reasoning and what they were focusing on or why to be there for sure i will say that we do not or at least speaking for us we do not condone i don't think joseph should have died it's not right to take people's lives without having you know period he should have gone to court and had this all figured out but um yeah yeah also, yeah, I, I agree. I'm not I'm not for killing because of stuff, although I am 100 percent for um, imprisoning men who are coercing minors into the bedroom um, for sure. So, I mean, not just the printing press. I think that um, I think that if Joseph Smith was alive today, he would be behind bars serving multiple um, sentences due to the things that he well, due to the, the things thing is, that he did the thing mm -hmm. is sarah the sad thing is that he'd been doing polygamy for years uh years and years right. and years but it wasn't until he burned down the printing press had control of an entire city and uh had an army that yeah. men political influence. political influence that men took an interest in what he was doing because as long as he was just abusing women yeah there lindsay hansen park who does a year of polygamy she pointed that out too she says it's really sad that it wasn't just polygamy that caused them to to have a problem with Joseph. It was it was when their power started to be taken as men. Right. So. Well, and and unfortunately, you know, I work in a field where one of the main reasons that victims don't report is because in order to get justice um, in our court system today, it is a grueling, re-traumatizing process. So today we still need to revamp and fix that. However, today victims do have their voices heard better i would say than in any generation previous to us which is which is why we need to really rally around the victims um i also want to point out that um unfortunately for men in today's society you are um guilty until proven innocent in these things and so yes our system still has a you know our governmental system here in the united states still has a very long way to go both for those that are victimized and those that are accused um and yes you know for for me the the consensual polygamy um does not bother me about joseph smith it's the non-consensual deceitful 
side of it. Um, my heart breaks for Emma. Um, if she had known how, how would she have responded differently? Would she have responded differently? You know, how would that have gone down? You know, I'm a huge proponent of consent um, and honesty, transparency, integrity. Uh, for me, he should have been behind bars as soon as it was with minors. Um, and Fanny unfortunately, yeah, Fanny Alger, um, there, there are several, uh, several minors. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we could go on all day about the ickiness of his uh, sexual predatory behaviors, his perpetration. Um, he was, and I want to make it very clear, you know, in today's vernacular, he was not a uh, pedophile um, because he was targeting women um, and girls that were past sexual maturity, but predator um, and perpetrator absolutely do fit. Um, and then I, I, yeah, Ellen, I love this comment. Modern day consensual polygamy is fine because you're adults, you're consenting. You know, I would say adult consent, consenting to polygamy, fine. Um, and it's, it's the consent piece. And then I just want to add to that, you know, the age of consent needs to be when your frontal cortex is developed enough that you can actually understand the consequences and not from a pressure, a pressured point of view. We call that ethical non-monogamy. It is definitely something that I would say, you know, look into because yes, Ellen, a child cannot consent. And, you know, for females, your frontal cortex, the way that we understand it today is not done growing and, and fully developing until you're very late teens, early 20s. And then for a man, it's like 23 to 26 or something along those lines. Don't quote me on that. I would have to um, do this. And, you know, yeah, Coco, look how well it worked out for the sister wives. You know, we look at relationship failure as, as maybe being a bad thing. But what I love about the sister wives is that when the women were ready to leave, they could. And they did. Um, and Joseph Smith's wives did not have that option. So yeah, when, when you watch Sister Wives, um, it's a very complicated um, reality television show. Um, I wouldn't want to, you know, condemn any of them because they were all consenting adults. But the thing that I admire, mo admire most about the women from Sister Wives is that when they were ready to leave, they did. Um, so well, um, I, I don't think I don't think it's fair to say that they couldn't have left. But certainly there were lots of obstacles to to being able to leave that situation like you know we know that some of brigham young's wives certainly left him you know there were people that escaped quote unquote mm -hmm. escaped polygamy the reality is is that that's not exclusive to polygamy like right. if you were a woman in the 1830s 1840s 50s so on if you wanted a divorce it wasn't really your right like you were essentially property and, and that's a sick place to be. It was worse with polygamy. It was worse in a theocracy when you're essentially kind of forced into it. Um, yeah, that's what actually yeah. what happened with Annalisa Young. She tried to divorce Brigham Young. And uh, initially they granted her a divorce and he alimony. granted alimony because at the time he was like a millionaire. But actually he took her back to court because he proved that their marriage wasn't legal. So she had no legal claim on so him. So essentially he won that court case where he didn't like, he didn't have to pay her anything because and legally she, she so didn't, much money she to wasn't his wife. Yeah. Yep. Right. And then I love this, you know, this question from Charles, which is, is it consent? 
if you hold the false belief that it is necessary for salvation or exaltation. And I would say, yeah, when you are in a system of mind control, brainwashing and those types of things, um, I I would say there's, there's partial consent. Like, you know, it's, it, I mean, it gets really sticky. Consent is not black or white. Um, we definitely have the things that are in the, you know, the black zone. Um, no means no, those types of things. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much context here. I would say that if you want to know about consent, Mason, give me the name of that author again. I think it was Jessica Fern. Um, oh yeah. Jessica Fern. Jessica Fern. No, too for everybody. Yeah. So Jessica Fern is the author of, and I would recommend Polysecure. I'm sorry. Yeah. Polysecure first and then Polywise second. Um, Yes. Her audience is for people interested in practicing some form of consensual non-monogamy. But as you read through her books, the way that she approaches consent has value for monogamous relationships as as well and she talks about what does consent actually look like i um, mean one of the things that she talks about is is that if there's one partner pressuring another partner to practice consensual non-monogamy then it's not consent you're looking at pressure and i would extend that to any organization or, or belief system where there's that pressure of you have to do this that that really muddies muddies the waters there. And then, yeah, I, I think that with Coco, you know, same with tithing, if you don't pay, you can't go to the temple, no temple, no eternity with your spouse. And so, yeah, we we're starting to talk about how the temple is, holds a monopoly on your salvation. If you don't do it their way, you don't get into heaven. And, and this is really where, as we educate people, you can recognize the all or nothing thinking pattern is very, very dangerous. And I don't like all inclusive words. I use them on accident all the time because, you know, they're used around me all the time. And I try and catch myself. In this case, I would say that all or nothing thinking is almost always dangerous. And by almost always, I'm like 99.99999% all or nothing is, is dangerous. So um, yes, consent is informed. Uninformed consent is not consent. And I, I do. Yes. I do like yes. that. And I would say, you know, I'm going to actually kind of close out, um, uh, you know, with this. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap today's show up a little bit. Um, Ellen, you have really taken our intent of today's show in the sense of um, the the Mormon temple it could be a very beautiful experience for many people, but I would say that most practicing Mormons are consenting to go to the temple, but it is uninformed consent. Um, Mason, you and I really kind of dug into this, the uninformed consent mm-hmm. in our temple prep, no prep show um, that yeah. aired live. I think that was last weekend that we did that one. No, it's um, going gonna, gonna to be live this Monday, tomorrow. Yep. And it will be dropped on the podcast um, tomorrow. So anywhere gotcha, that you're listening gotcha, to podcasts right. that shows up um, or almost everywhere uh, that you are listening to your podcast is going to show up. But yes, I would say that uninformed consent is kind of how the LDS church does things. It's how they do things with baptism. It's how they're doing things in the temple. It's how they're doing things, even with the way they're spending your tithing money. 
you know? So yeah. when, when you are looking at practices within Mormonism, one of the reasons um, that Mason and I speak out so much about this, I'm, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, Julia in America, I'm going to put words in your mouth. So correct them if I'm wrong. But one of the reasons that we are doing what we are doing is to bring information to you. And we are really hoping that those who are willing to look and engage with this contact ours and others, you know, there are so many people in this Mormon space that are working really hard to bring you accurate historical information as you are engaging that our hope is that you can be informed so that the choices that you are make that you are making are intentional so yes I love this comment I feel like we need to like make this our motto for today's show which is consent in order to consent you need to be informed uninformed consent is not consent. So Mason, do you have anything else you want to say in closing? And then um, after you're done, I would open that up to Julia and America, and then we will, um, we will go from there. Yeah. Uh, I think the only thing that I would add is that if you look at most medical forms, it does not say consent. It says informed consent. I, I mean, there's an issue like we, <laughs> In anesthesia surgery, which is where I work, we tell you all kinds of stuff that could happen because we have to. I mean, if you go into surgery and for some reason you don't think there's any possibility that you could die, we haven't done our job, right? You need to know that that is a possibility. Although in incredibly remote, it is a possibility. People do die from those procedures. People do have things that happen that we can't fix or that will cause pain or trauma, things like that. It's all a part of what we do. And they sign the form because they either they think they know or they just want the surgery or whatever, but it's right there in black and white that you can read. If you choose not to read it, fine, that's on you, but it's right there. You sign the paper saying, I've read this. I know I understand this information and there's nothing like that. Well, in every in surgery, yeah, I was gonna say every surgery that I've ever had, and there's a lot of them uh, because of my infertility and whatnot, is that I had at least two to three people sit down with me and go over the risks, what to expect, and what to expect yeah. as I healed. And then also, this is the phone number to call if you have any questions afterwards with medical professionals that are willing to spend as much time with me as I need to feel comfortable in providing post-operative care for myself. Um, there's yeah. always a place I can go. Nothing's secret um, or it's not supposed to be. So I shouldn't say nothing, right. but it's not supposed to be. Um, right. All right. Thank you, yeah. Mason. That's so good. And so when I went through the temple prep class, the only thing I remember that was super helpful is that they mentioned that the veils sometimes are opaque. And she said to make sure you get one that is see-through because your experience will be a lot better. And I, on my first time there, did, didn't have a, a, the choice because they just handed me the packet that I was renting and it was opaque, but at least I knew, oh, okay, I'm having a different experience because there are different veils, but it was like a scary, scary thing to be behind an opaque veil while we're doing chants and stuff. And, <laughs> but like, that's, that's the helpful thing I learned in my temple prep class, right? And like, not any of the... Not any of at this least, helpful stuff. <laughs> at least well, and it's when you something, said, right? Yeah. At least yeah. it's well, something. It's not enough, but it's something. 
Yeah. yeah. And when you said veil, I, I thought at first you meant like the veil to go into the celestial room. And I was like, oh, yeah, if it's a little mm -hmm. opaque, you can see the person on the other side. So that way they hopefully don't grope your boob. Um, but you were talking about the veil over your face. Yeah, mm -hmm. that absolutely. I'm going to say opaque for both. Choose opaque for both. If, mm -hmm. if you want to go after all you've learned. You mean not opaque. <laughs> not opaque. Yes. Something you can see, see through, through better. See through. See, see through. through. Yeah. Yes. And and Coco brings up. So Coco in the comments just said, now we don't. Now the women do not even have to veil their faces. That that has been removed. That's really, yeah. That's a really good change. We actually, there's a, a TikTok video that she made um, where we kind of remade the experience of being behind a veil in your first temple experience. And you can, all you can hear is like the, the temple kind of words in the background, but mostly you hear your own breathing and it's really trippy. It like screws me up every time. Yeah. Wow. Like a panicky wow. like breathing, like and like it's through the veil. Oh, that's that's my favorite TikTok video she's made because it's terrifying and it's so accurate. <laughs> I always <laughs> used it to smell my breath and make sure that I, you know, do I need a tic tac when I go sit back down? <laughs> I just wanted to say that like like had I known as a member that all about all these changes and, and what we were doing, I don't think I would have agreed to do these at all. I don't think I would have sliced my throat. And one of the things that I did covenant to do, and maybe this is reflective of like group think, but one of the things that they say in there is that you covenant to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You don't covenant to God or Jesus to the church. And that really bothered me. I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to, I don't want to covenant. The temple is about Jesus and God, not about this organization. Well, it should be, but it's, it's that's not. What, yeah, that's what I was told it was about. But when, but I went ahead and made that covenant, and and that was really uncomfortable to me to to do that, and and yeah. Coco says yeah. she was able to blow her nose in private. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one thing I wanted to flash back really quick. Um, we were talking about Joseph Smith. So, where where is it? Um, can you just say it? Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about um why he got murdered, right? And uh, I think it was Coco said that um, it was because the newspaper was going to print his his sins about polygamy, and that's why he burned it down. That actually they had printed it, and you can read it. Um, it's called the Nauvoo Expositor. We actually shared it um, in a book in a book form, and it's very interesting. It's been proven that everything that they accused of him accused him of was real. And you can, yeah, Nabu Expositor, it's really Yes, really that's one our company read. has published, so you can find that on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, worth, to add that. worth reading, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, well, thank you for letting us come on and, and give us a little history of the temple. Yeah. Absolutely. So, we've got um, some requests. I've, I uh, have received a couple of emails. Uh, people are wondering if you can make your PowerPoint um, available on your website like the whole thing sure. so i'm going to leave that with you that came in a, a private email to the daisy girl communications sure. um email so um you all can do with that it is not i will say that this powerpoint is does not belong to unpacking mormonism and so if you are wanting that you're going to need to um contact julia and america through their website at analyzingmormonism.com is that correct yeah, or Julia at Analyzing Mormonism is another way to just email me. But yeah, and I'll, and I'll just say this is not every change. I mean, we've even been talking about other changes that I didn't list. So this is just, there's so, you could go on for hours and hours, and we have. I mean, it's been three and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, we've so. gone on for three and a half hours talking about this. This is not all this. the stuff. It is 
and change. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, it's almost like the CES letter, you know, he started out with his initial and now what we're getting is like, oh, and this, oh, and, and this. And so, um, yes, if you are interested in getting your hands on this PowerPoint, um, you will need to reach out to uh, Julia and America. And there that is. And we will absolutely make sure that those links are available and those websites are available in our show notes here at Unpacking Mormonism and Other Religious Trauma. So as we close up today, we want to say thank you so much. We've had a, a great turnout um, to our live presentation, which is amazing since we didn't really announce it, which is the way Unpacking Mormonism goes we fly by the seat of our pants because did you see how many kids i have this right here is the this is the reason that mason and i set a time and never make it on time because we have a beautiful humongo family because i'm mormon and the more kids you have the better your chances are in the celestial kingdom exactly so, no i i i'm gonna be honest right right now i would not give any of them back i just wish that my consent to bring them into my home had been a little bit more informed. So I'm going to take, um, I'm going to take the uh, quote that Ellen gave us uh, earlier about uh, informed consent. So um, just a reminder to the Unpacking Mormonism audience, we are reducing how often our shows are coming out on the podcast because we are in the process of broadening our audience to a non-religious audience. And so we are going to be releasing Unpacking with Sarah episodes that are 100% focused on the psycho-educational uh, piece of what the hell is my brain doing and how can I actually get better with real life uh, tips and tools and tricks that you can use right now. So it's not therapy because when I call it that, it's a problem. It is psychoeducational. And as we build that platform, we will also be um, publishing a book with the same name and providing you with the worksheets and, and things that I actually use in my clinic here that I have found to be incredibly effective for my patients. I want to make sure that we are making that available to the general public um, because counseling is super expensive. Um, if you need help, uh, we want to definitely, if you, if you need help or somebody to talk to, you can email us at daisygirlcommunications at gmail.com. I can help you find resources in your local community, um, for a lot of that. If you are in crisis or you are feeling like you're going to harm yourself or others, please reach out to the National Suicide and Mental Health Crisis Hotline at 988. I have used it myself. Um, I got super triggered about a year ago and sat in the bathtub, um, bawling my eyes out and uh, texting the 998 hotline and they were amazing. So thank you so much to my colleagues in the trenches for um, reaching out for those of us that are in struggle. Um, I want to say I want you to choose your 11 minutes. And for those who are wondering what that is, we will be talking about that. Um, in the near in the near future, too often when we talk about suicide or self-harming, we talk about all of the people who have passed. And instead, I want to talk about choose to talk to somebody for 11 minutes. 11 minutes is the magical number that reduces completed suicide um, substantially. And there's a lot of research that goes into that. So please, please talk to somebody 
for 11 minutes as you work to physiologically soothe yourself. And stay tuned at Unpacking with Sarah Westbrook for more information. We are really excited to be bringing that programming to you today. So thank you so much, Julia and America. It is always so much fun to work with you. And Mason and I are super privileged to live so close to you. Um, we, uh, we, when we get together, we talk way too much. And um, <laughs> I'm not going to say for too long. It's probably not even too much. We just have an absolute freaking good time. So um, and I absolutely love the work that you are doing. I am not a historian. I am definitely a behavioral health mental health specialist and the history work that you are doing is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so thank you so much for joining us today. Any final questions or comments from our audience, please feel free to reach out to us on our individual platforms, um, or our individual email addresses or websites that we have shared with you today. And as always, thank you so much to Alex Vidalis, our producer behind the scenes for making us look and sound amazing. We love the work that you do. Um, and we love y'all. So till next time, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Thanks guys.